I would like to begin this episode by thanking some folks, folks who have uh, supported us. Uh, these are Aaron Spruill, Mike Whitmore, Jamie, Jimmy Wilkinson, and Sean Franson, a.k.a. Felix, on the Slack. All of these are people who have gone to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv and uh, gave us some money and helped us out. You can be like them by going to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Thank you. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out Fireballs. Watch out for Fireballs. The Fireballs <laughs> don't have to watch out. Watch out. Fireballs. Uh, dispatch. <laughs> hey, Fireballs. Get on the trolley, dickheads. Um, the uh, Why are you always burning my shit? Uh, welcome to The Dispatch. It's our monthly show that does Q&A, topics, mm -hmm. reads your responses, and announces new games. Yeah, I'm going to read your responses to, uh, got, a, got a lot of them this time. It's Inscription, Ultimate NES Remix, King's Bounty, and Until Dawn. Yeah, that was a stacked month we just went through. It was. Sometimes we get those uh, we get those four boys, uh, and sometimes yeah. uh, we we throw a two-parter on those under the four mm -hmm. boy months. Um, but uh, this time, no, it was a it was a real sampler platter. I'm just a four boy. <laughs> I got new parters in me. Uh, we also we have some biz. Let's we, talk biz. We do strategies. Wow. What do they work? <laughs> um, <laughs> the international marketing. Marketing. What are the two things you need to know? Uh, so we, uh, as people who are listening to this know, we've recently restructured, uh, our Patreon a little bit in terms of, uh, getting how to get your episodes mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, and we really appreciate people's patience with that as we worked out the kinks and stuff. Uh, we have one final kink, uh, that we're working out and kind of just a directional change we're going to make, but we're going to give you lots of notice and we're going to kind of explain our rationale now. So, yes. you know, uh, with plenty of advance notice. Yeah. Ripping the Band-Aid off, uh, beginning in May, uh, the earlier release is going away. Yes. Yeah. Uh, don't panic. Don't pull all your money from the banks. <laughs> Do not. It's a wonderful life, this, under any circumstances. Please don't. <laughs> uh, the idea behind this is to make, you know, so it has been, there's been some growing pains and adjustments and switching over to our new individual per show feed. Mm-hmm element this will simplify that um is is a big thing yeah uh, on our end and your end that's going to simplify our workflow a whole lot and you know immediately like when we first thought of it it felt a little sacrilegious but it only affects anybody for a week yeah <laughs> you know like you get in and then you're on the week early um, <laughs> and then from then on you're just getting it every week right uh and it's extra work for you and for us uh to do that and we have uh, no concrete idea mm -hmm. that the early release is a huge draw for people. Um, it comes bundled with other benefits yeah. right now. And there aren't tons of people who just subscribe at early release who don't subscribe for the extra, you know, to get the bonus shows and stuff at the next tier up. Yeah. Um, 
So we're, we're trying to be very mindful about uh, providing value at every tier. So we've got some changes we're going to talk about next mm-hmm. uh, to kind of reconfigure that. But just so you know, like a, a month or so from now, beginning of May, uh, no more early release. Yes. Um, They're just released. There are people who really enjoy getting all of the public stuff in one feed. Uh, there are mm-hmm. ways that we can replicate that uh, without needing to upload everything twice and kind of split uh, everything, you know, announcements and even discussion uh, by a week between the people who listen to early early release and people who don't. So if that's something that you are especially attached to, that can still be arranged and uh, keep an eye on social media for something else uh, for, for an announcement about that later. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about how we're changing uh, what we're adding to the reward tiers. Uh, this is stuff that just impacts the $3 and $5 mm-hmm. tier. Uh, if you're above that, you are uh, nothing's changing for you other than losing the early release, but nothing is getting added yes. uh, to it. But we did want to take care of people who were at the $3 and $5 level. Like one of our goals with the Patreon is try to be as generous as possible. We want everyone to feel like they're getting their money's worth. Yeah. If we can. Um, so at the $3, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to make almost, almost like a welcome pack um, or a sampler mm-hmm. pack of some of our premium content. So figure one episode of each of the premium shows uh, for each of the years that it's been out, put together mm-hmm. just on a post where you can go, make it available for you at that tier. So, you know, right when you sign up, uh, even at the lowest tier, you have uh, access to, you know, some goodies, let's say. Yes. And uh, access to the Slack of that tier is not going away. Right. So for three dollars uh, a month, you still get you get a bunch of extra stuff to listen to, and mm-hmm. and instead of early release, and you get to join the Slack if you would like. Yeah. Um, which we recommend. Yeah. Uh, for five dollars, we're going to be doing something else. So in the past, and it's apropos that we're talking about this on Dispatch episode, we always say like, oh, we're gonna we need to do like a catch up episode, uh, clean up, wrap up, or whatever we ended up calling them, um, and then we never do them. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to schedule them because they feel low priority. Yes. Uh, to do them. They are just uh they're they're questions, you know, that we get and we want to answer all the questions. We want to, you know, it's a Patreon perk to ask us these questions and do these discussion prompts, but we only do one of these a month and mm-hmm. it's hard to have enough time to cover everything. Yeah. In them. So we're going to uh regulate those. So instead of just kind of doing those when we get a chance to do them, which usually we do a couple of them a year. Uh, we're going to do them quarterly, and those are throwing uh, being added to the bonus shows you get at five dollars. Yeah, so that's being added to Bonfireside Chat. That's being added to Unfilmable. That's being added to mm-hmm. the extra um, episodes of uh, Abject Suffering, the, exqu- the Exquisite Suffering episodes that you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those, if you haven't heard one of those before, uh, that's basically uh, this, but without listener responses. And game announcements. Yeah. Um, we just go through, sometimes we do multiple topics. Sometimes we just do uh, several questions mm-hmm. uh, and stuff on top of that. But it's us clearing out our Q&A that we get from the Patreon. Yes. So um, that could also, and that also, once it's more regular, it's possible that will evolve mm-hmm. as well. You know, I could see that being a place where like a tube talking segment lives. Yeah. You know, like that could be, there There could be other stuff that gets added there. It's It tends to be pretty loosey-goosey. Yes. When we do it. Um, but we're going to, again, we're going to make that come out more regularly and add that to $5. Yeah. So early release is going away. Uh, uh, if you are bummed out by that, I apologize. You know, mm-hmm. we apologize for that. Our intention is not to bum anybody out, it is just to make things simpler. Yes. Um, but we are trying to add some value back as yeah. well. Yeah. So, uh, like we said, that'll be taking effect in May. We're going to keep the uh, early release up through uh, through April. Uh, and then bye-bye, off into the sunset it goes. 
Yes. It can go join uh, Duck Feed Valhalla with <laughs> Try Watch Out for Fireball sketches. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an uh, evolving concern. It'd be weird if we didn't change in 10 years. Yeah. Or so. in the um, eight years that the Patreon's been active. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and this isn't the first, we know this isn't the first change. Mm-hmm. It just where we don't, uh, we are going with our gut with a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that if we, uh, had it all to do over, we might not have done early release in the first place. What it's, a, it's an amazing thing to run one of these. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's not sources for how to do it. They're starting to be now, but at the time there definitely weren't. And what happens is, you know, Cole and I, like we will be like, how do we add value to this? Like we want, we have, I'm, I feel less like this every day, but early on explicitly, we were very like, I don't want to ask for money. That feels gross. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to make sure that we're doing stuff. And our answer for a long time was make new shows. And eventually that became unsustainable because we do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this was just in that brainstorming session. Yeah. Like, hey, get episodes early. That's 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 kind of a nice perk. Yeah. But I think that you really unlocked it for me when you said that only matters for a week. Yeah. Um. You know, so we want to be able to simplify it and give something that has more staying value. Uh, we again, we appreciate your patience uh, with us as we as we make these changes. It's all it's all for the positive. Um, yes, you know, I'm I'm excited that like we don't have to like technically announce an episode twice every time it comes out. That like when yeah. I <laughs> that people who you know listen uh, uh, are not going to be listening on separate like schedules or whatever. Like if people want to comment on an episode, it's just there for them every like it's there for everybody. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You could become those weirdos who did listening parties for the adventure zone. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's about, you know, our, our bullshit. Yeah. Uh, just like you could, you could throw a depressing party if you considered that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that, that's the big, uh, big announcement mm-hmm. uh, that we have. Um, we're going to move on to questions and stuff. Yes. Now. We are. Uh, yeah. Uh, Eli gets to start here. Uh, says, uh, you guys sometimes disparage people who value immersion. Uh, I always find that interesting because what those people are complaining about, I tend to find pretty insubstantial. However, sometimes I hate having my own broken. So what does immersion mean to you? What enhances it? What breaks it? Is it really a factor for you in any way? Um, the uh, quick clarification, not disparaging people who value it. Yeah. Just say evaluating the concept of it. Yeah, I, um, I, I, immediately, as a, as an import. I immediately got defensive. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's an easy mistake to make. Mm-hmm. But uh, no individual person is being called out by that. If we imagine somebody who to contrast, like who values something that we're like, this isn't important to us. It can be useful to imagine somebody for whom it is important to contrast yes. to explain why it is not important. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if if at any t- if at any point we do a little character of somebody who is uh, like way into uh, way, way into immersion or whatever, just do your own impression of us. Oh, I really value mechanics over yeah. Yeah, do that. Yeah, that's not really a person. It's, <laughs> it's a fakie. Yeah. Um, so generally, when I when I think about this, the uh, this made me think of two things. One, um, I see it uh, complaining about things that I find. Um, really harmless so glitches like a lot of the time yes um for example uh somebody uh because we started elden ring uh i had a couple of tweets blow up 
not mm-hmm. a, not a brag. It's actually a nightmare. Yep. And the uh, <laughs> some people, uh, somebody was like, "Oh, I was watching somebody stream this, and they touched a teleporter, and there's no cutscene or anything. They just got a loading screen and appeared somebody else, and it totally fucked my immersion. That's garbage. Mm. And uh, to me, that's video games. Yeah. You know, I I never don't think I'm playing a video game I'm, when I'm, I'm playing a video game. I'm pretty aware. It's hard to forget that I'm holding a controller. And that's how I like to play video games as well. Like there are things to try to get around that, you know, like uh, haptic feedback or the way that like VR works. You know, mm-hmm. the idea is for the controller to disappear. It never disappears for me and I don't want it to really. Yeah. Usually like I like that I am playing a video game. I like the artifice mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, I'm 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 into the artifice and yeah, I don't really understand that just because I don't know, it's one of those things that would be unwieldy. It's you know, a lot of the questions this month relate to Elden Ring or Souls in some way just because that game mm-hmm. came out and so many people came to the Patreon because of uh because of Elden Ring. Um but another mm-hmm. example that I think we talked about a few times is like there's probably somebody who prefers the Far Cry version of skinning an animal. Or picking up, uh, you know, picking up crafting loot from uh, fr- from an enemy, which is, you know, your character pulls out their knife and then, you know, goes down and you see the splash of blood and you hear the, uh, and then they clean yeah. off the, then they clean off the blade and then you they, the there you go. The <laughs> the, uh... Yeah, dear Mrs. T Squirrel. The T stands for yeah. the. Um, <laughs> there are people who prefer that, uh, you know, and to me. Uh, like that's neat the first couple times, you know, but then it kind of becomes like, man, I really wish there was just a way to like skip the summon animations in, uh, in, in final fantasy seven, yes. you know, yeah. um, it's neat the first couple of times and then it just becomes friction, right? So things that are done yeah. for the sake of immersion that, um, are just for immersion, uh, you know, th- like they, the animations they die for... based on how frequent they are. Yes. And, and they die from repetition yeah uh see see also like towns and jrpgs you know this Mm -hmm. is something that was a real revelation when um we played brave fencer musashi a game that is gary's favorite game of all time and one that i Mm -hmm. hate with the passion of a thousand sons um but um one thing that i do like is that it's town as a menu because i stopped Mm -hmm. being impressed with like walking around jrpg town regardless of the fidelity a long time ago, like initially it was a bummer when Final Fantasy Tactics had, you know, towns and castles just be a menu. But now I really appreciate that you can get done what you need to get done, including getting rumors and stuff by clicking tavern. Just by clicking. Yeah. And getting yeah. the music and getting the little background screen with your dudes there and then, you know, clicking on the option. Uh, like that all is good. And I feel like, you know, if if I am choosing between immersion and, you know, a streamline of play, I'm going to prize the streamline of play in all but the um, the rarest of circumstances, let's say. Yeah. The other thing that the immersion, yeah, 100% agreed. Um, you're not really losing anything in those cases, too, because 90% of that immersion was the music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they do very much like you go into this person's uh, house and it tells you something about them, usually right. in that genre. Sometimes it happens, but mm-hmm. the spaces don't tend to be very important. Yeah. Uh, I think um, the other thing is the immersion conversation comes up a lot in glitches. Yeah. And as somebody who, you know, like, again, it's good luck to see a T-pose. Like <laughs> if that happens on the day you're wed, that means you'll have many beautiful children. <laughs> like it's a, it's, it's, it's awesome i just i love seeing i love things that prove that uh the thing i'm doing is artificial Mm -hmm. and that the people who made it are people who make mistakes yes as long as it doesn't and not design mistakes not making poor design i don't like that 
but little glitches and stuff like that are great. Mm-hmm. It just feel it's a little patina on an antique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, it is, it is the imperfection in the blown glass lets you know it was made by hand. Right. Yes. Um, and, you know, usual caveat, as long as it doesn't take away progress, as long as they don't have to redo anything or redo yes. a whole lot, you know, the clip, see the glitch in shattered memories where I, where I fell through the floor and had like a really creepy four minutes before I figured out what was going on. Yeah. 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 Uh, blessings. Yes. Um, Andrew says, I've been playing Immortals Phoenix Rising, and I've been enjoying it quite a bit, but one of the criticisms I've seen online is that the the game is, quote, too easy. It got me thinking, does a game need to be challenging for it to be a, quote, game? If there is minimal challenge, do you still consider it a game, or is it just something else altogether? Absolutely, it's a game. Yeah, still still definitely a game. Like, that's a spectrum, and gatekeeping is shitty. Yes. Uh, There are things that are close. You know, we talked about the game to toy spectrum. Mm Mm-hmm you know before and then the game to movie spectrum like most things exist somewhere along those axes yeah you know in multiple ways um so yeah an, e- an easy game can certainly just be a game like yeah. pokemon snap is undeniably a, a game mm-hmm. even though it's very easy yeah and an easy game can be worth your time you know yeah <laughs> there, just... there, are, there are flavors of it it's it's really an execution yeah like i love um the later or the the mid-period kirby's like the late nintendo early super nintendo kirby games those mm-hmm. are easier than anything oh yeah you know kirby's a really easy platformer but it gets by whereas sometimes something can be very easy and it's just not asking enough and i'm bored yoshi's it, story yeah 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 there's just not enough to it mm-hmm. uh, that can can certainly happen but there's a hard and fast rule i think yeah uh cinnamon toast cunt <laughs> says <laughs> uh this username every single time I, I, I get <laughs> thrown a little bit. Yeah. Um, it makes me wish there was a cinnamon toast crunch theme song because it'd be real fun to walk around my apartment singing, <laughs> singing this to it. Uh, what are some games past or present that you wouldn't mind buying expansion DLC for forever? The DLCs, DLCs could not only add new maps or stages, but new mechanics as well. Um, I kind of did that for Isaac. Yeah. For a decade. <laughs> you know? And they, they're still adding patches that are adding new bosses and shit to the most recent expansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh I mean, I'm I'm pretty close to that with State of Decay 2 or anything like that, you know? Like mm-hmm. they the like the way that they added new content to that just by making it whole new campaigns on different maps uh mm-hmm. is really, really fascinating to me. Um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of a recent one. And then also there's kind of a version of that with, um, uh, man of Medan or the dark pictures an- anthology, right? Like that, that is kind of similar to like, what if, what if a story expansion based on the same engine was put out once every year indefinitely, right? Yeah. Like an anthology horror. Yeah. You know, exactly like that. Cause that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of stuff that I would want to have this done, I would do a new like darkest dungeon original class you know the dark the original version not the uh the sequel mm-hmm. um once every couple of months for the rest of my life and be yeah. pretty happy about that mm-hmm. uh new frostpunk expansion you know mm-hmm. i know we're getting a sequel but no yeah. yeah uh let's see here doug writes uh i had a surreal experience uh recently playing the new horizon game uh the early goings of the game are set in zion national park i wandered off Um, on a random side quest and was stunned to find a rock wall and a dilapidated fence 
perfectly rendering a random spot where I took a photo with my mom and sister on a family road trip. Uh, this was not a big monument or a point of interest, just a rock face uh, that uh, that conjured a treasured memory. I've gone to many familiar landmarks on games, but nothing this personal or out of the way. Just wondering if you've had a similar experience of visiting a virtual version of a familiar place. Uh, a lot of times the games that I like that are take place in familiar places mm-hmm. um, don't have that kind of fidelity. Yeah. Uh, the the closest thing was recognizing what the ceilings look like in the subways in Washington, D.C. in Fallout 3. Yeah. Like, oh, I've been there. That's exactly what those look like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and most most games uh, that I uh, th- th- that I play are not set anywhere that is like especially especially dear to me. Uh, so like, you know, I lived in that I lived in uh, <laughs> New York for a summer, and so anytime I uh, anytime I play a game that is set there, your Spider Man or your um, or your uh, oh gosh prototype or what Julia have you. Man? Yeah, your Giuliani man. Um, I'll go, like I'll go and see how like accurately they render certain places. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just like oh landmarks that I remember. Like uh, what, what did they put in place of that restaurant that I really liked, etc. Uh, but you know that was only a summer. I will say uh, that I spent an embarrassing amount of time um, uh, just I take eating an edible and then going into VR and going into like Google Earth. Or uh, another map, I think it's called, or another mapping kind of thing called Wander, and going mm-hmm. going to familiar places, and then just like clicking and seeing the entire history of stuff. Like I was nearly in tears watching a tree grow in front of the house where I lived for all of college. You know, it's yeah. like 2007, yeah. 2009, 2011. Now it's huge, and they repainted the deck. What's happening? Oh no! That's a really good time. Yeah, uh, going, you know, going in there and checking out. Like, I'm gonna look at every place I ever lived. Yeah, you know, um, I've had this experience outside of games uh, more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so watched uh, Jackass One, a lot of which is uh, shot in Portland. And I was like, oh, I've been to the hardware store where he takes a shit. <laughs> and that was really surreal because the first time I saw the movie, it was just an anonymous hardware store. Then I went to the hardware store without thinking about it, then watched the movie. <laughs> uh, so I, I've had that experience a lot more often. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Gabe asks, uh, lately I've been having conversations with friends and people in my online communities about frame rate. My personal bias is a lot like Gary's in that I get annoyed and don't care about frame rates, refresh rates, resolutions, HDRs, teraflops, flirpa derps, etc. Yes, I have a high-end PC and monitor, but I don't put frame rate counters up and pretty much uh, think if it plays the game, great. I think Bloodborne is one of the greatest games ever made and is a must for people to uh, for people to play in this genre. Despite this, I've heard from friends that they find the game literally unplayable and cite input lag due to the frame rate. I played the game three times and find it as responsive as any other Souls game. I'd argue that they're creating artificial hurdles in their head and are denying themselves one of the best gaming experiences. You guys say uh, that fun is real, and that makes me think I might be wrong about this, and that hardware-related roadblocks are real, too, on an individual individual basis. What do you think? I know the N64 is a mess, but I still play it, uh, but that might be permanent nostalgia goggles. I can see how uh, GoldenEye would be unplayable to a more fresh gamer. I feel like people saying 30 FPS is unplayable is BS, and if it's true, would that not invalidate the last decade or two of console gaming? Where does that line get drawn? Also, uh... 
I just want to massage your ego, Gary, when you brush off all the technical mumbo jumbo. I love that shit. Oh, thank you, Gabriel. <laughs> I, uh, I wish you know, people lack would... of gearheads unite. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people uh, would really keep their uh, powder dry on any of the unblinkables, except for unfilmable. Everybody should fire off on unfilmable because uh, it's a yeah. good show and people should listen to it. Um, and even that show is about how that's a lie. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the main concept of it was that Lovecraft was considered unfilmable stuff. For yeah. a long time. We're like, well, let's look at the, the attempts that do it. Yeah. yeah. And the people have succeeded. Uh, but just as yeah. a disparaging comment, I don't know, maybe it's because we get like reviews that say this show is unlistenable because they acknowledge what each other said. Yes. <laughs> that kind of stuff. No. Uh, it usually uh, f- feels like a, like a, like a stand in for a, uh, for, for a broader critique, uh, you know, or like a more, a more, uh, let's say specific cr- critique, the opposite of the thing of the thing I said. Uh, I just, I just don't Sometimes like Sometimes a more general one as well. Sometimes it's just, I don't like this. Yes. And it's just a hyperbolic way of saying I don't mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Uh, so the 30 or 60, uh, thing just, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I dismissed that out of hand. Uh, I think that it, it absolutely is a thing where somebody could say like, yeah, I, I, I can't go back to the N64. Cause that's a, you know, that, 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 that's a mess. Uh, like that, 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 that all tracks to me. Ultimately, if somebody is saying, I'm not going to play Bloodborne because of this, uh, it's their loss. I think. Yeah. More than, more than anything. They don't have to be disingenuous for it to be, they're kind of fucking themselves over. Yeah. Like that. It's, it's not dissimilar to like people. And, and I'm, I have some tendencies around this with some mediums, like people who can't watch like black and white films. Yes. You know, uh, I can watch black and white films. I do find a lot of old movies pretty boring. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's more about the content of them, though. It's not the delivery package. I think that the delivery package, I think it is a good thing as a consumer to accept a wide array of delivery packages mm-hmm. for media. Um, you run into this with like old PC games all the time. It's not frame rate. It's like UI stuff. Yeah. That's complicated. And uh, it doesn't mean somebody's wrong when they're like i can't get a handle on this yeah like that that could be definitely true but if they i guess can't in this situation is really similar to won't like and effectively the same like i i could i'm unwilling to do the stretching yeah which is a valid but it does mean that it's possible and i do think they would be getting a good experience yeah but then it becomes like like, how do you say what is worth like okay like if you got over this friction you would get over it and then how far does that go to be you know how how does that substantially differ from oh you have to put like five hours into this and then it gets good yeah which is which can be a true thing Mm -hmm. it's just my own subjective values don't make that value proposition worth it the same way these bloodborne people like they could definitely acclimate to 30 frames per second like mm-hmm. that was video games for a very long time yeah uh they choose not to do that stretching to get there and i think that they are missing out on a really good game yes um but that's i also think that they're you know bug nut bonkers for not playing fallout 2 <laughs> yeah. you know and that's that's an even harder putt like i i it's just people are not going to get to do all the good stuff mm-hmm you know, it, it, it's, it's an unsatisfying answer because it settles into subjectivity stew, but it's kind of, uh, it's kind of true. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. L- Lucky says my first introduction to Bloodborne was seeing the trailer that opens with the camera lowering into the, into an alley of Yarnum. Uh, and it was love at first sight. I literally gasped with wide eyes, like a child in a candy store and whispered Castlevania. 
Sadly, due to Konami effectively making the game and <laughs> effectively leaving the game industry, Castlevania as a video game series is finished. If Konami were to sell the rights to Castlevania, uh, who would you want to have it? Assume Koji Igarashi turned it down uh, due to having his hands full with Bloodstained. Um, I think this really rely uh, ties into something that was a topic in the last couple of dispatches mm-hmm. um, about like let it die, like letting IPs die. Yeah. Um, and this is a great point. Like if I want Castlevania, I can get it with bloodstained. Yes. Now the name isn't what's important about Castlevania, mm-hmm. you know? So, so the, the actual answer, and again, this is not satisfying, but is I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I, I can get Castlevania esque experiences from a lot of different developers and they don't have to have the Castlevania name on them Yeah. to be good. Like Castlevania doesn't mean that much. Like one of them's in the future in Japan. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't um, like as a brand, it's not, it's pretty flexible. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's, that, that that's just the nature of one of these things. Like, uh, could, could I, could, could I name a studio like, Oh, uh, the, the grime people. I think that they probably would do a neat take on yeah. a, a neat take on Castlevania. They did. Yeah. They it was did. Grime. <laughs> I guess, yeah. You know, how <laughs> many people did a great take on Castlevania? They they, they did, yeah. yeah. So it's just like saying, like, no, it needs to be this kind of game, but it needs to be gothic, maybe kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just you know, th- things w- once they get sufficiently big and sufficiently beloved, they don't necessarily die. They just get disseminated in the bloodstream. You know, like yeah. it's just it en- it ends up flowing to other places. So. You know, it's kind of like another Konami franchise. Like, yeah, it's a bummer that Konami hasn't been making Silent Hill games consistently and at the quality that they had in like 2003 or so. But like, yeah, there's plenty of good horror stuff to take the cribs from that. So that's fine. You know, yeah. and the people who made them are around. Yeah. Like like this example, like, you know, Igarashi mm-hmm. is also just making making his own version of this. Yeah. You can follow the the people if you don't want to follow the brand. Yeah. You either follow the concept or the people pretty mm-hmm. easily. So the lack of brand ends up not mattering too much to me personally. Yeah. The guy who did Silent Hill 4 just has uh, got to Tokyo Ghostwire, which looks interesting at the very least, you know? I, I got to start reading reviews of that because there are, people are like, this is great. And tons of people are like, this is fucking trash. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, and I, I take a lot of uh, perverse pleasure. Oh, yeah. In uh, that I'm, kind of thing. I'm curious about it. Uh, not, not the least of which because the Silent Hill 4 guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, is this me or you? Uh, this will be you. Uh, Maya asks, uh, as one of the many individuals who uses Watch Out for Fireballs as a way to vicariously play games I have no time for, what is a game you wish you could get all the plot beats and experiences of playing without actually putting the time into playing it? Final Fantasy fourteen. Oh, <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I will uh, probably never play that game mm-hmm. uh, because it takes forever to get good. Yeah, according to even people who love it. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? I, I would I would love to see what's cool about it without uh, needing to put in MMO amounts of time. I've been getting this from a YouTube channel called You Can Beat Video Games. Okay, that does uh, edited kind of let's play walkthroughs of games, uh, and they're old Nintendo games that I never want to play. Okay, from start to back, but I want to see the weird, interesting stuff. Uh, so it's like, I want to, I want to watch this guy talk and explain what's happening in Fester's quest yeah, or Rygar or something. Um, that's real fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I generally get this kind of thing from, from let's plays. Yeah. 
uh, personally. Um, but a, a let's play of Final Fantasy fourteen would be ridiculous. It would, yeah, you know, and like I'm, forever. I'm positive there are Final Fantasy fourteen podcasts out there. I am not confident that uh, you know it, it's hard to find. A my podcast dance card is full up. Uh, B uh, I I imagine that like the more interesting and in, in demand thing is like. Not so much culture stuff, but like talking about recent changes, like about the um, about the yeah. end game content that's added, etc. Like, and you know, I'm I may be showing my ignorance here. Not like okay, an area by area, like what's cool about the story of this particular place? How is this different as different classes or being associated with different factions? You know, etc. And down the line um you know something that is not made for people who play final fantasy 14 religiously and you know wait for the next expansions with bated breath but like is for somebody who doesn't play it yeah yeah i don't imagine there's a lot of demand for that (laughs) but i i also don't want to be onboarded onto it because if the worst case scenario is it tempts me to play it and then i i have to quit (laughs) my job yep (laughs) because that's too much time to spend on one game Uh uh-huh you know, even even like Elden Ring, which like I, I put my long playthrough in and play my second playthrough, won't end up being a Final Fantasy fourteen number of hours. Mm-hmm. You know, into it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, should we move on to a different category? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's mosey. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Douglas writes. I'm sick of reading about the new normal, post-COVID, etc. Uh, but I thought it might be fun for you two to talk about any changes and new normals uh, that you have noticed in yourselves. For instance, before the pandemic, I would have described myself as standoffish and deeply uncomfortable in any public setting uh, and relied on multiple coping mechanisms. Last, uh, Just last week, I've noticed I've basically become an annoyingly talkative doorman, uh, <laughs> what I would have considered a monster back in 2019 and objectively still do. Uh, have you two noticed anything uh, different in your day-to-day, work-related, personal life, etc., uh, that has markedly changed in the past two years? Uh, I was just imagining an Animorphs book with Douglas turning into a talkative doorman on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How's it going, sir? Big grocery day? <laughs> uh, yeah. there, there's another question that is that, that, that is similar to this um so we'll we'll if we get to it we we can just say oh we already answered something like that um we're super fortunate or i'll I'll speak for myself i'm super super fortunate because i live in a pretty sparsely populated area um the places where i go grocery shopping and stuff immediately offered curbside and it's 100 more convenient and stuff and i do not have to go into a place to work so very little Mm -hmm. functionally changed for me uh, when the pandemic set in, um, and even as, well, who knows, cause there's another wave coming, um, even as things have lightened up, it has not been, you know, a, a whole lot re- reverting back to, you know, per- the, the before times, you know, mm-hmm. I'm pretty fine not going to movies and not going to restaurants and stuff. It's okay. Those are not things that I miss dearly. Uh, the biggest change, and Gary, I'm sure you'll you'll you'll, you'll re- uh, get to this if I don't, but um, is uh, the lack of live shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lack of live shows for work, and then uh, I'm more uh, slightly more loosey goosey with doing stuff. Like I will go walk around masked around a store mm-hmm. from time to time, or uh, I will go to a restaurant, especially if it's like you had to present vaccine. Mm-hmm evidence to, uh, to get in there which is which is fairly common yeah um around here uh 
but other than just the biggest change it's had other like outside of work for me is just being a bounding box on what I can do. Yeah. You know, like I will still go wander around a store, uh, you know, with a mask on, but I can't be like, you know, let's, uh, go to an amusement park. Let's go to like, I'm being really judicious of the movies. Like I'm going to movies where I can pick my seat and be far away from people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, things like that. So it's, it's just, it's impacted, uh, that stuff, but I, and I'm not, you know, everything is normal and fine now guy mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. I do have a feeling of like, am I willing to give up, you know, going to restaurants forever? Yeah. Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like that experience a lot. It's valuable yeah. to me. Um, if, if everybody inside there is vaccinated, yeah. uh, and I'm not sitting right next to strangers, I basically feel like, okay. Mm-hmm. Within this, I'm not, I know, no projecting that onto anyone else. Right. But, uh, the change has been just kind of in being more concerned about that kind of stuff while also not cutting myself off from things whole hog at the moment. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny because I said, oh yeah, I live in a more sparsely populated area on the converse of that. Like shit's wild here. People, you know, it was like, it wasn't necessarily like completely anti-mask, but like. Uh, in the couple of handful of times that I've gone to a restaurant since the pandemic started or since like vac- mm-hmm. vaccines became the case, you know, like I've gone to like a restaurant with my parents like twice. Um, uh, nobody checks for cards. Like there's no like restrictions out here in rural Ohio. Right. Um, so like buffets just they burned their sneeze guards like they've gone straight back to like pre-hand washing they'll fucking crucify you if they catch you washing your hands like it's 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 nuts here (laughs) that's so silly there i went to a a food cart uh and ended up like not going to it but they had a sign that was like masks are not required at our food cart no oh boy once it's a philosophy (laughs) you know like you could just not have a sign up and let people do what they want you know you don't have to try to like yeah, that that shit's silly. Yeah, and buffets, man. I would still feel weird about a buffet. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, let's yeah. see. Uh, was is this you? Yeah, this. So this is you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael asks, uh, and we'll make this one quick. You're, if anybody gets a sinking feeling of dread as I read this question, <laughs> uh, I don't think we're going to camp on this for a long time. Uh, living within America, how do you both feel about the general chaos and downfall of normalcy due to factors like the pandemic, civil unrest, and the downfall of the middle class? What do you both use to cope with the daily stress of being bombarded with negativity in our world? Uh, I got a good answer for this. Okay. Log off. <laughs> I, yep. I I understand the impulse not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on uh, my girlfriend had a birthday. And we went to a cabin for a weekend, and I'm like, I'm not going to be terminally online during this. And I was mm-hmm. also not terminally online to avoid Elden Ring spoilers. Yeah, and it it fixed something in my brain mm-hmm. uh, to where now I very very rarely read Twitter. I just say stuff on it sometimes. Yeah, and I've been really good at limiting my amount of time on it. Yeah, uh, it's it's I've broken the compulsion of just checking it and doom. I don't doom scroll anymore. Um, I just stopped looking mm-hmm. and that feels irresponsible. At the same time, though, I'm limited in my power to do anything around the, anything about this stuff. Yeah. So it also feels reasonable and self-care. I uh, like I've been rolling this around in my head. Like at, at what point is like feeling bad about the you know, just 
you know, <laughs> is denying myself the ability to log off, which I understand is a privilege. But like, at what point is that um, just like a weird and self-destructive form of survivor's guilt? You know, <laughs> point one, <laughs> like at, at zero point one, it's, it's, yeah. you know, the, I think that you, cause I, I'm not calling you out cause we both mm-hmm. have succumbed to this. I think you called it like being the watcher on the wall at some point. Yeah. You got to keep an eye on the fire mm-hmm. so it doesn't spread. <laughs> you don't have to. Nope. You have no, you have to no dominion over the fire. Uh-huh. It's not your job to keep an eye on the fire. It's all of our job collectively distributed, you know, it, it's <laughs> which a, means you, you don't have to not. take it on yourself. <laughs> it's, it's, What's that? The, uh, we, we, we can't, uh, I don't think our brains are made for it. No, no. You know, it's, it's, a uh, it's, it's suicide. It, it is detrimental. It's, it's very, it's self-harm. Yeah. You know? Uh, and it's, uh, I know it's easier said than done and it doesn't mean like, just be ignorant about world events, like do good when you can. Yeah. Um, but do good. Don't just watch things be bad and feel bad about it. That doesn't Mm -hmm. accomplish anything. Yeah. You know, like what a a good thing to do is to doom scroll Twitter, see that Texas is doing some kind of horrible human rights violation like they always do and then donate money Mm -hmm. or time to a mutual aid organization that deals with that. Yes. A bad thing to do is just to spend an entire day reading about it and feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't do anyone any favors. It accomplishes literally no good yeah. in the world or within you. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. And another thing that I found is like, as opposed to like, okay, if I if I do find myself overwhelmed with concern about something, you know, or just things generally, it's maybe not the best thing to like just kind of take basically let don't keep the buttons on the outside right i think that's a really important thing which is like uh deciding what affects you or like you know the things that affect you can't it can't be determined by what other people randomly decide to do so as opposed to just saying like i'm going to be upset by whatever crosses the transom um instead i can be more directed so like I still, you know, pay more attention to current affairs than I probably ought to, but it's real focused on like the far right, like fever swamp conspiracy, Alex Jones stuff, because I find it fascinating. And it's really interesting to learn about like the lineage of ideas that pop up, you know? So like that, yeah. the, you know, like that's more directed that, that that's, that's put to like a particular, a particular topic as opposed to just kind of. You know, like my old choir teacher used to say, uh, you know, blowing around like a fart in the wind, right? Yeah. Well, and and you only you can determine when your interest stops and when the pain begins. Yes. You know, like if you're if you're following something because it's interesting or fascinating, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it's up to us as individuals. Like it's a thing that I used to always it it unlocked it for me because I used to always rankle when people would blame platforms. Mm-hmm. for stuff and i the platforms obviously like twitter has tons of problems like mm-hmm. social media has tons of problems but i ultimately do fall down on it uh this individual aspect of it they should yeah. have better curation all that stuff don't you know put words in my mouth on this specific very specific case i do think it falls on the user it's not like oh twitter is hell it's oh you're letting yourself yeah make twitter hell you know, like you get to decide when I'm no longer interested or doing anything useful. This is just making me feel bad. Mm-hmm. It's time for me to go read a chapter of a book. Yeah. So it's, for me it's time go, for me to stop looking at screens, you know, and just decide I, you know, I can decide to be happy for a little bit yeah. by going and doing something around the house or by working in the garage. Mo- you know, not actively 
you know, slow motion stabbing yourself. Yes. Yeah. You know, even if you're not happy and you're still angry, because there are a lot of reasons legitimately to be angry. Like we should all be Mm -hmm. pissed. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pissed, but at a certain point, just continuously rereading the reasons I should be pissed (laughs) without doing anything is just like shockingly bad for my mental health. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so demoralizing and horrible. And I, I just decided to stop. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's not that easy, but I think that is really the only way out. Yeah. Cause what, what, what would the other solution be? <laughs> you know, like what else could it be? <laughs> of course, it, of course it's stop doing that to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you do what you can to make it better, but it's not just going to magically become better one day. Yeah. You know, it's always going to be like this. Yeah. Always, always, always. Oh yeah. No, your, things your are going to get children, better. Children, like we'll deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't have anything more to say about that. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Michelle writes, I'm not one of those gamer Americans who goes around making the cake is a lie jokes in my day to day life. But last year we got a new safe at work and I was the manager that day. So I got to set the combo. I got an incredible rush from sending a company wide email saying that the new safe code is Oh, four, five, one. Uh, besides, hey. <laughs> I think that was your duty. I would have been angry if you didn't. Uh, Besides being guys who talk about games for a living, uh, what is the most gamer American thing you have done at work? Um, hmm. You went to a, to a, to a work Halloween party as Wario one time, right? We did do uh, Mario as a theme. Okay. When I was in office, we did Halloween theme stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't like a subtle, you know, thing like this like i that's as that's as close as i got but that was like a sanctioned funtivity mm. you know yeah um it's i i don't have a good answer for games but i did when i worked at that job i did set up an office or in my office i set up an upside down map like magneto had <laughs> in his office in the grant morrison run of x-men mm-hmm. uh just on, on on there like he was gonna flip the world on its head and yeah. i just did an upside down map world map <laughs> on the wall uh that is nobody really understood that yeah and that's explainable away too just like i don't know just makes you look at things differently mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it's it's extremely important that something has a plausible explanation uh that is not uh like hey i just did this as a reference also not important yeah. at all because own the things you like but <laughs> yeah who cares like i could have <laughs> said it was x-men i eventually put a label on it i wrote north is not up okay on it which was my my nod towards that. Like the thing I like about that image is that like it gives lie to a you know a perceptional idea, mm-hmm. you know, like that. Yeah. Um. So I like doing stuff like that, but that doesn't tend to be from from games. No, no. Uh, uh just another map thing. I tend I I also like uh like maps that are uh, centered on the Pacific Ocean as opposed to the uh, the Atlantic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just because that flips around east and west in a cool way. Uh, when I used to be a creative, uh, my, my title changed a million times at that job. When I worked at the, uh, the, uh, animation studio, the digital Fungineer. video as a fungineer, uh, the, uh, digital video marketing place, uh, I would often try to put in, uh, sly, uh, uh, you know, just allusions to video game stuff. Usually it got cut mm-hmm. out because people, it wasn't just kind of like, Hey, that's nerd shit. Don't put it in here. It was just like, yeah, I don't understand what that is. And you know, it got taken away along with usually jokes, um, you know, simple lines, uh, you know, anything that was kind of straightforward when the client got a hold mm-hmm. of stuff. 
uh, there was a video that didn't come out. Uh, like the, somebody went around and was asking like, Hey, they're making a video for, it was, it was a city video as like a, um, uh, an explanation like, Hey, you should really only be flushing human waste and, um, <laughs> and, uh, toilet paper, diner toilets. And they had a little song, mm-hmm. but there was like a scene of just like people flushing, uh, people flushing stuff that just like made them angry or made them frustrated. So it was like, what kind of stuff would somebody, you know, just flush, you know, just like as a, like a funny, like haha goof, you know, uh, to, you know, to get rid of it that would, that we can show with like clogging up this, uh, the, 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 the sewer pipe. And I, I, I sent a uh, picture of dark souls, uh, along with it. Cause like, Oh, somebody got, somebody got frustrated at this very, uh, at this very difficult game and flushed the case down the toilet. Right. Haha. Mm. LOL. And then that video never released. So, oh, yeah, that's a uh, typically you get you get in trouble for doing these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. man. Uh, moving on to medium question, uh, media questions. Yeah. Uh, Jacob asks, "Hey guys, uh, just this weekend I went back to my childhood home and found a bunch of old tapes I had when I was a kid. It was a neat feeling to see some of the kids' media uh, that may be the weirdo I am today, like Black Cauldron and the Disney Sleepy Hollow." What I was really hoping to find was a recorded six-hour Three Stooges marathon tape that had all of the uh, circa 1994 commercials still in it that I rewatched incessantly. Ripping uh, that to digital would basically be a six-hour easy dopamine source for me now. Sadly, I'm pretty sure that went to a landfill when my parents cleaned out their old, outdated entertainment center. So now I can just remember it wistfully as one of the big, uh, as one big nostalgia source that I won't be able to go back to. Do either of you have similar pieces of media or experiences from your childhood that are lost the time, but you wish you could find it and recreate it again? The uh, extended play VHS tape where I just over the course of several nights uh, filled it with episodes of Syphil and Ollie, the uh, mm-hmm. MTV uh, puppet uh, show. And I can get all of those. Somebody just recently did like a uh, high, high definition or as high definition and high definition as you can um, upload of them to YouTube, uh, which that person is a hero, but I, I would want that back just because it would have the, um, it would have the commercials and like the promos mm-hmm. and like the first, like the last five minutes of bio rhythm or iconoclast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, just anything that is in the 10 spot, you know, from, uh, from, from MTV in, uh, 1999 to 2000, let's say. You know, mm-hmm. just because, you know, I I just watched an awful lot of late night MTV and uh, so, you know, primarily for Syphil and Ollie, but like all of that is uh, just really nostalgic for me. And that tape is probably gone, which is weird because I normally keep a hold of everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a, a specific object like that, but I do seek out this feeling like I will watch commercial compilations on YouTube yeah. sometimes. Uh, and I also, I get this from magazine ads. Um, yeah. There is a magic card magazine I used to get called inquest that I will buy any copy of. I see in a, in a thrift store, uh, that is hard to find now, um, and expensive on eBay. Um, a complete run of that from when I was collecting, it would be, uh, just an absolutely main mind melting experience. <laughs> um, and like looking through old issues of that or old issues of Nintendo power or dragon magazine, or whatever, and just seeing ads that I saw in things I read over and over and over, yeah, uh, absolutely time travel me in a way that is uh, really satisfying. Yeah, I mean that's um, I seek that feeling. Primarily, the reason I keep my old video game magazines around, not so much for the content, mm-hmm. which is yeah, 
but uh, for the ads, oh boy, the ads. Yeah. Yeah. That, that stuff is very good. <laughs> uh, I love it. A lot of that stuff's on archive.org. Oh yeah. Uh, weirdly enough, there are a lot of old magazines and old magazine ads on there. If you, uh, if you dig and uh, Jacob, if you're looking for those commercials, try like 1994, you know, commercial compilation on YouTube and you'll see at least some of them. Yeah. Matt says, uh, are either of you, either of you subscribed to any Patreons or Patreon alikes? If so, are there any that you would recommend? Uh, what makes you decide to subscribe to one? Uh, do you tend to be reward focused or are you more likely to subscribe to a creator out of a sense of, I just like that person? Uh, I subscribe to a lot of Patreons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's entirely the latter. It's yeah. entirely, they're either friends uh, you know, I, I think I'm on like the monster of the week, Patreon, because I love Jeremy, not because I like supernatural. Yeah. Like I don't know supernatural, but I, I like Jeremy. I want my friends to continue to make stuff. Um, and then anybody who is in the pile of just people who I have, you know, consumed tons of their stuff. Like I, I patronize, uh, you know, retronauts and, and Noah Gervais and, and just people who, you know, whose work I really love, yeah. but I never get the bonuses and benefits. I don't, I personally don't care. I just want to give them a tip for being awesome. Yeah. Uh, pretty much the same. Uh, the only, uh, like Patreon where I regularly consume the bonus, uh, stuff is Q anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a, uh, very good podcast. Um, and, uh, I like their bonus episodes cause they're basically just extra regular episodes of that show. Um, you know, so that's like one of them, but other stuff like, I I don't know. I'll watch the stuff that Illusory Wall puts up because I like Illusory's Illusory Wall stuff, regardless of if it's on YouTube or on um or on uh, Patreon. I don't necessarily even really care. <laughs> like, yeah, if it's if if it's on one or the other, I just want to see what they what they make because it's interesting and very well put together. You know, you don't want the spigot to turn off. Yeah, I, you know, Illusory is a friend and friend of the show, and and I want him to keep making stuff. Yes. You know, uh, and if that, if I can help with that, I want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so stuff like that, like I'm looking at, I'm looking at this, like I, I support Grimrock because that's a way to support the, um, Nightfall, uh, Nightfall mod, mm-hmm. right. Uh, you know, Retronauts and you know, just, just a bunch of stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then anybody who I personally know, yeah, I will generally support their Patreon, uh, just because like, I don't know. Uh, it seems nice. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, Roberto asks, uh, can you remember a moment when the themes or content of a work of media challenged you intellectually, emotionally, or philosophically, not a puzzle box sense of something being difficult to parse, but in a way that makes you contend with something about yourself or the world in a way you wouldn't have done before, or simply had an impact on you that would daze you for a few hours of aftermath. Michael Haneke uh, movies tend to do this a lot for me, but I couldn't say uh, in what way I was a different person before watching Cache. That would be more of an impact thing. Yeah. Uh, All my answers are super normie. So that's why, like, you know, I'm just going to sound like a normie uh, (laughs) when I say it. But, like, there are things that, um, so the first time I saw Get Out, I didn't know anything going into it. Mm -hmm. And I, I adore that movie, and it made me, it, it was part like figuring it out, but it was also just like made me stop and consider like, Oh, this is a really deep movie about how black bodies are used and portrayed. Yeah. There's a lot to chew on here. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it wasn't about the puzzle box part of it. It was about the, the like chewing on the theme. 
Yeah. And in terms of like reevaluating stuff, there was probably a time when I would have said, oh, if I could vote for Obama a third time, I probably would. <laughs> yeah. 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 100%. Like the idea of somebody, uh, I, you could do a whole thing on Stephen Hurt's character mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. Like not a racist, like mm-hmm. doesn't dislike black people up until he's pushed and he's like, yeah, but I still get to just have your thing. Yeah. You know, it sucks, doesn't it, man? You know, as like one of the, you like, you think he's going to be the good guy. And my, my moment of self-reflection in that movie was seeing it. And this is, it's not something I'm proud of, but I was like, oh, like he might save him. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking of the optics of like what would happen if the white dude, you know, (laughs) saved the guy and get out because I didn't know get out at the time. And I was, you know, I, again, not proud of it. I was just Mm -hmm. like, wasn't doing a good job of thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, and then that didn't happen. It's like, oh yeah, no, like you still benefit from this shit, even if you're not actively racist. Like, I think that movie is very elegant and good. Um, and that was, that's probably my best example of that, even though it's an incredibly popular movie and the conclusions I was coming to while watching it were things that were text. Yeah. Like they weren't subtext. I was just, you know, I had a lot, I still have tons to learn about race. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a fucking idiot when it comes to that stuff. I'm trying, but I'm not Mm -hmm. smart at it. It, it, yeah, um, it, it was it was a challenging work in the in the sense that it kind of forced me to yeah it, it, uh, re- grow and reflect and react to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably my best example. Yeah, mine is nowhere. <laughs> mine is nowhere near as uh, as important as that. And also, it, like you, Gary, you are going to laugh at me, but remember, I was in high school, and this is you know like an early example of something that happened with this. Have you seen the movie Orange County? Uh, I'm familiar with, but I've not seen Orange County. Okay. Stars Colin Hanks uh, as like a high school senior who really uh, hates where he lives. Uh, He doesn't like, uh, he does, he does not view his friends as being uh, like, especially, you know, smart. He wants to go, he wants to go to Stanford and leave everybody behind, you know, Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. just because he thinks that there are great things waiting for him there. Uh, and the entire movie is about him, like, accepting that he, um, uh, you know, A, I, he, he's not going to get into Stanford like he, like he wanted to, but also accepting that the people around him are actually really important to him. And he doesn't have to kind of go with plan A in order to be um, in order to be happy and uh, be fulfilled and all that kind of stuff. It's a, I mean, it's, it's a stoner comedy from 2000, 2002, but like when I was in high school at that point, it was like, you know, you know, I was a real piece of shit in terms of thinking like, I'm going to go to a big college and I'm going to be the smart guy and blah, 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 blah. And I watched that and I was like, geographical cure. Yeah. Looking for the the geographical cure and stuff. And like, I watched that and was like, you know, maybe, you know, (laughs) it didn't sink in like immediately, but like I, I, saw myself in that and immediately started uh you know something started in there kind of a you know be be appreciative because stuff that you may think is smaller than you is actually you know important to who you are like that kind of thing yeah yeah you can you can find good messages in the dumbest of media yeah you know no problem like things like that. And everybody's going to have a first time they're exposed to an idea. Like things yes. only seem common, like common sense before you learn them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. it, it, no shaming people for, for when they land where they need to land. Yeah. It's just important that they landed. Then mm-hmm. it hit me at the right time. It was like sophomore year in high school. And it was like, Hey, maybe stop being a piece of shit just because you think you came yeah. from a small town, you know? Yeah. That's a, it's a good, it's a good lesson. Yeah. 
It's a real good lesson. Uh, yep. Let's see. Uh, oh, Greg, Greg's question was the one about uh, was the other one about pandemic stuff, but it was more about how has uh, sticking around the house and kind of being locked in more affected your uh, your podcast listening. Uh, has it? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I listen to fewer podcasts now. Yeah. Uh, than I once did because I don't have a commute. Um, that was had less to do with the pandemic and more to do with working from home. Yeah. So, uh, I still get out every once in a while. You know, I still still do walks and stuff. I still do chores. I have reasons to listen to, but also between podcasting and YouTube, mm-hmm. um, there's more stuff than I can actually get to. Yeah. And I also still enjoy music. Uh, so sometimes that wins. Yeah. So I'm I'm way way behind on all that stuff, and I I've just decided not to worry about it. I've thrown it into the I'm not going to be able to do everything whole. So chill out. Yeah. Um, do you want to do the extended lightning round? Let's, uh, lightning round it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, then we're do our topic and, and all that jazz. A lot of people ask short questions, so yes. that's why it's an extended lightning round. Yeah. Uh, Noel, Noel asks, what is the dark souls of comparing things to dark souls? Comparing things to dark souls is uh, the dark souls of comparing things to dark souls. Comparing demon souls to dark souls. <laughs> is the comparison of dark souls to demon souls. <laughs> Uh, Chase says, uh, quick questions. I wonder if you guys had ever played any total war games. Um, I have not. I played Rome total war back in the day and thought it was neat, but it was a little bit over my head. It'd be interesting to, uh, to go back, uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. check and see how that, uh, how that has gone, especially after having played, um, uh, what is it? Warhammer dark omen and feeling that kind we of, we need a, a WAF strategy break. We do. However, yeah, no, um, not not for like that. I would be down to try an entry in that series at some point, but that's certainly a next year thing at at the soonest. Because oh yeah, um, I love those games, and I'm even a little burnt out. Yeah, yeah. I was I was I was speaking personally for me. Yeah, oh yeah, no, no, I know. I I, I, <laughs> I guess I I wasn't correcting you. I think I in my head I was like heading off. You should you should play Total War for the show, which wasn't <laughs> part of the question. I was just snapping at shadows. I guess. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, let's. See. Uh, this is me. Okay. Uh, fermented Sorcerer asked, asked uh, what are y'all's favorite fake in-game advertisements, products, slogans, bumper stickers, and so on? Uh, mine is a sticker that says Club Inflexible Person from Silent Hill 2 in that weird football room after meeting Billy. Uh, another great example is Aquacure from the RE3 remake. Uh, just for clarity, I think they're referring to Eddie instead of Billy, although mm-hmm. both names work. Um, I would have said uh, Aquacure and Saffron. <laughs> uh, RE3 deciding that, you know, Umbrella decides to make non-monster drugs uh, was a was a real revelation in humor to me. Yeah. Like, these guys make bear, but also the T-virus. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Yep. <laughs> uh, makes them more insidious, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, in, uh, oh gosh, Penumbra Black Plague. I think is, is mm-hmm. the one there are soda machines that are called like, there's one, like it's called slow brain or something like that. It's like slow brain or chill out. It's mm-hmm. a, like they're, they're advertising a, uh, like an anti-energy drink or something like that, which is very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. and then from silent hill three, I love the, uh, the, in the subway, the advertisements for Minmo cat foods, cat foods, Minmo oh, sure. that, that has, oh. Comic Sans text and a what is very clearly like a cell phone picture of one of the devs' cats. That stuff is real fun. <laughs> I like uh, I like the slogans for Duff beer as well. <laughs> like I, I get Duff extra dry stuck in my head. 
Uh, or in Duff Cold. Um, <laughs> Duff Cold is amazing. Yeah, Duff Cold is very funny. Oh my God. Oh. Uh, Francis asks, uh, skydive from 15,000 feet solo and you get to have dinner with your celebrity crush or stand in a pit of spiders for five minutes and get to make out with your celebrity crush. Uh, to clarify, you live in both instances. Not sure how in the second. Maybe they're venomous cuddle spiders. <laughs> uh, first one. I think making out with a, with a celebrity crush would be weird. Uh, I would mm-hmm. be self-conscious about that. And I don't know, 15,000 feet isn't that much higher than people normally skydive from. People do that do that all the time. It's something I'm scared of. But, you know, people say like, oh, yeah, I skydive. I skydove and it was good for me. So maybe it'd be good yeah. for me, too. And I it it definitely sounds more fun than the spider pit. Yes. When you be picking spiders out of your bits for like a long time. Oh my god, they get everywhere. They imme- they go immediately yeah. for your holes. Yeah, exactly. Like you just you'd have spider crack, and that would not be fun to me. Um, also, yeah, I I would want to meet my celebrity crush before uh, making out with them. Yeah. You know, I also don't have like tons of celebrity crushes. Yeah. You know, like I don't know. I don't know if Christian Shaw is going to be that impressed by either of these things. So, <laughs> um, you know, but it, probably the first one just because then I get to skydive. Yeah. That's the thing you people know. pay money for. So, yeah, I'm curious about it. <laughs> uh, Kyle asks, if either Cole or Gary were to be away from the network for an extended period of time, which Soulsborne NPC would you summon to sub for them? Uh, none of them seem like good podcasters to me. Yeah. Uh, but the answer is Baron from uh elden ring Ooh, that little bro i don't know if you met baron yet i don't think i've met baron yet uh, which is real good which 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 one is he uh he's the little tiny jar in the jar village <laughs> no i've not found him <laughs> uh jarberg oh, sh- <laughs> uh, the uh <laughs> i love jarberg so much oh. it's it's the new definitive answer for like if you could live in any soulsborn oh yeah area like it's just tons of jars hanging out and dancing and stuff. It's so good. It's you like want... a it's like a spirited away thing. <laughs> like I I love Jarberg and I love Baron. He calls I need, you cuz. I I calls you cuz. I love that. I need to yeah, seek out I Jarberg. So God, so much stuff in that game that you just miss. Uh, yeah, mine probably would be Laurentius of the Great Swamp, just because he seems like sure. a solid bro. You know, just, he does seem solid. Yeah, he, 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 no. he, easy going and uh, curious about you and stuff mm-hmm. you know i think that is i think a, a sense of curiosity is important um yeah yeah um aaron asks uh when will cole and will finally team up for a taxi podcast <laughs> give the 10 of us who also love taxi what we want i'll anxiously await the official announcement of the latcast latcast <laughs> latcast uh i'd have to talk with will about that uh will's pretty busy with work and stuff i don't know <laughs> i don't yeah, know about uh, i don't know about when i think that'd be fun i need to get on get back on uh, uh guppy before that happens yes yeah that that's uh, something we do plan to do yes so me me and will have a special project we want to do because since we crossed the the million download mark mm-hmm. um and then we also uh want to have Cole back, and then we have another project nice uh, to do that we talked about but we just have to find time for it yeah uh let's yeah. see thomas if you could eat one fictional food, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. I would try a uh, a pan galactic gargle blaster. 
Oh, that would ruin you, Gary. Yeah, I know. I don't drink, but I would try it though. <laughs> okay. <Nothing> wild. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. No, I, God, I, I would just be so terrified of the hangover as the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, like the, I would be terrified of the hangover as well. I'm just curious about it. Mm-hmm. Cause like the, the real answer is like, I did, I did a morally apple. <laughs> like it, it's something really boring. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, this, this is just any, any fiction, uh, and it's basically a meme, but, uh, I, I'm still curious about it. I want to know what the fuck a snozberry tastes like. Sure. Yeah. The trick to berries is they all taste the same, like yeah, under a, a certain tart. degree, like yeah. blueberries and raspberries taste different. And then there's the rest. <laughs> yeah. But, but still it dangles yeah. for me. Just like, I'd like to see the color from the color out of space, you know? Yeah. Curious. Yeah. Uh, Kay asks, if you had to direct a scene where you were introduced as a character in a film, what song or theme from a video game would you have play over the slow motion shot of you walking into the room? Personally, I'd go with the end of Small Sanctuary from Silent Hill 3. Um, I don't know. Just to do like a fun version of Bernard's theme from Maniac Mansion. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I don't have a, uh, a video game one for this uh and i've always but i've always wanted whenever i leave the room for the uh opening credits of the wire or the end credits for the wire to start playing Ooh, because that would make anything i said seem like real lance reddick you know (laughs) yeah Uh, i i've i've wanted for a while to rig up my speaker so anytime i like when i arrive back at my house it plays it plays let's hear it for the boy yeah that'd be great (laughs) the consummate mood booster yep uh uh christopher asks uh you're being forced into a time machine by some mysterious kidnapping time guy and you must choose a new time period uh uh decide a decade Decade. or an era uh to live in uh which would you pick it can't be now or any time period that you've been alive for um i've said this before i think it'd be really fun to come up uh when video game music was a thing starting uh and try to make a career of that yeah you know, so maybe like late seventies, which is just before I'm alive. I was going to say you the seventies too, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say seventies. I, I don't know that I can go to any, any place that does uh priority air conditioning. Yeah. That's, that's a big point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the band guys just sent me a flyer for REM's like reckoning tour where they were playing with Husker do for $8 and 50 cents. Jesus Christ. Somewhere. And I like, was like, man, I'd like to have been alive for that. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're both like at the top of their fucking games. It's like right when Reckoning came out and then Zen Arcade. Wow. Uh, and I was just like losing it. Yeah. Like wild. Uh let's absolutely see. wild. <laughs> uh this is uh me, uh Fen Raleania, asking of all the poison swamps and souls wars games, which do you find the most hospitable hospitable? Uh what reward would convince you to spend a month living in said poison swamp, assuming food and water of survivable quality would be guaranteed. Um, the one that seems least gross uh, no and the, so this isn't a poison swamp i was gonna say road of sacrifices but that's not a poisonous swamp yeah there's no there's no swamp there at all yeah it's just wet i don't know they all i want to have one with houses uh-huh you know so like blight town or valley of defilement but those are all those aren't great to live in blight town has the mosquitoes yeah It'd be a real problem. Yeah. You know? and, and Valley Defilement is more explicitly like feces during a lot of parts of it. 
which I would have a problem with. Yeah, Probably that's a, just like one of the mini swamps in Elden Ring. There's like a bunch of little... People really talked about how many poison swamps there are in the game. Mm-hmm. And there are several of them, but there's only two big ones. Right. Like there's just tons of like little lake-sized ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. the like the lake-sized ones. It, access to something else, I think, would be a pretty big deal. So that like makes yeah. Blighttown and Valley of Defilement uh, kind of a rough go. If Forbidden Woods, Dude, like certain parts of that... Can you imagine climbing be- out of the Valley of Defile, Like how your uh, Blighttown? Like oh, not no. even ter- get rid of all the poison. I would just be so winded. Uh huh. It's a lot More of ladders. stairs than I could do. I just I, yeah. I cleaned up my gutters because that's the beginning of spring and like getting up and down that ladder. Like I'm not good on a ladder, Gary. It's not nothing. Yeah, yeah. it's a we're not meant to be on ladders. No. Like. Mm-mm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then reward you wouldn't need to reward me very much. No, no. I feel like like I would do it. Night it would be podcast fodder. I'd talk about an abject suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's the thing experience is content so yeah oh uh biff writes biff tannen uh thank you again for gracing us with your presence uh mr president uh oh mm-hmm. what is your favorite paul verhoven film also if you could choose to either urinate out of your eyes or defecate out of your ears uh which would you choose assume that whatever whatever you choose the other functions as normal that second part's really hard. It, it I mean, uh, urinate out of the eyes just because cleaning feces out of the ears would be a real rough putt, I think. Yeah. Would it, would it sting? Would it be like having urine in your eyes? <laughs> you, yeah, you had a lot of urine in your eyes? <laughs> yeah, like it would feel like that. I don't know. Because <laughs> like, yeah. if you, if you uh, shit out of your ears and it was just like normal shit, like you could choose when to do it. Like toilets would be different, but it feels like you could adapt. Yeah, but I mean, I control when I piss, you know. Yeah, but it's I'm coming a, out of your eye. I'm not like, a rat. It's always going to hurt your eye. Where my ears aren't as sensitive to. I mean, stuff. we we have to we have to assume that if your if your body if your body does it, then 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 it is acclimated to it, you know. So like, yeah, it, it just if if it was if if somebody was just waving their you know waving their wand and said, "Boom, this is the thing you have now." First off, how dare you? Uh, second off. Mm. I mean, yeah, that change that, that that changes it. Uh, the uh, the the shit out of the ears, though. Like, I don't know. I have a history of pretty profound ear infections. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that that, that, that doesn't sound good. Uh, no. I give the king of ear can, ear infections. No. No. Uh, yeah, I might I might choose the ear one, but it it I don't want either of them. Yeah. Um, the my favorite Paul Verhoeven film is Total Recall in a walk. Yeah. Uh, there's literally no competition for me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Total recall. Um, like, you know, m- maybe I could entertain a RoboCop or a Starship Trooper as a second, second place, but it's a pretty distant one. Yeah, I, I love Total Recall. I think it's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, Aaron asked, in the past, you both referred to things uh, that he just write as Gary Nip and Cool Nip. I would just like to motion the court to hereby refer to those things as Gary Wanna and Cole Kane. <laughs> Um, I was bored driving across several streets, states listening to Waffle and Bonfire to chat when this hit me as a shower thought. Feel free to burn after reading. Thank you sincerely for what you do. Hi, uh, Gary Wana and Cole Kane. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. m- motion, um, motion accepted. There are a couple of yeah. these. <laughs> there, there, there's at least yeah. one more of these motions to redefine terms. So, yeah. I appreciate everyone respecting Robert's rules of order for vocabulary. <laughs> uh, Ralph asks a uh, question for Gary. Uh, have you ever played Shadowrun Crossfire, the Shadowrun deck building puzzle game? Uh, I think it might be one of my favorites. I have. Uh, I like it a lot. We played it uh, over at Levi's for game brunch for a little while. 
um, ran through a campaign. I've been looking to get a set for myself just to play solo because mm-hmm. I love uh, deck builders. It's very good. Nice. Um, yeah. uh, Gabe asks, uh, what are your thoughts on the Steam Deck? Uh, I believe one or both of you have a pre-order. When is your order availability window? I'm in Q2 and I am giddy like a pig in shit thinking about getting Elden Ring on the go. I love the concept and hope Valve has success with this. Um, I've got one. I don't know where my pre-order is. Uh, I checked to make sure I had one, but I don't think I've got an update as to when I'm, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And if I had to log in for that or something, I haven't done it. No. Um, I'm kind of just like, I'll get it when I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it looks neat to me. Yep. Uh, I want to play Deus Ex in bed and stuff. Yeah. It looks it, cool. It looks neat. It's tempting. I'm kind of regretting not, not, not ordering one, but I can approximate that with, uh, you know, remote play on my, mm-hmm. uh, my phone with the backbone, uh, kind of thing. Um, and, uh, if they announce a revision, you know, like a second version, uh, then I, I will probably be a little bit more proactive about jumping on one. Yeah. You can see how it goes. Yeah. I like new, uh, new handhold, handheld consoles. Get that play date at some point. Mm-hmm. Things like that. It'll be fun. Yeah. I'm excited about the play date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though I, I do think ergonomically, <laughs> I wonder whether that's comfortable, like to, to do a real, a fishing reel mm-hmm. as your, instead of buttons. Yeah. Uh, I'll be curious. We'll see. Uh, Alex writes, everybody's got a few, so let's hear it. Uh, Tell us about your favorite robot masters you made up. Uh, Robot masters are Mega Man enemies, Mm -hmm. for people who don't know. Um, The one that I made up as a kid got made. Uh, I came up with Armor Man, Mm. and then they made Armor Man. Yeah. Um, Like, I had a a few that were, were like, kind of made, you know? So, like, or were pretty much approximated. So like I had like helicopter man, it's <laughs> so mm-hmm. just stuff like that. Um, one that I just thought of that would be fun. Laundry man. Uh, Laundry he, man's good. Yeah. Uh, you could do like a scorpion, like get over here thing with a clothesline and a clothespin. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, just, uh, like he, he has different movesets depending on, uh, like which, uh, which outfit he has on stuff like that. Yeah. And fight him in a dryer. Mm-hmm. That spins. Yeah. Like as you fight. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, let's, um, yeah. Is this, uh, I think this is me. I think so as well. Yeah. Jonathan writes, may I respectfully request that we move to change fashion souls to Elden Bling? Uh, I like the wordplay, but I'm going to keep saying fashion souls. Yeah, probably. That's a hard, that's a hard habit to, to, uh, to, uh, break. Yeah. I, I'm just now calling them grace instead of bonfires and I, <laughs> that'll regress soon. Yes. Uh, Andrew asks, what current TV show, movie, game, etc. do you just not get the hype for? For example, Ted Lasso is fine. It's okay. Why do people think it's the first TV show to have nice people and jokes? Um, I feel this about everything I give into hype and watch. Mm-hmm. Um, because people say it about everything. Yes. And I have grown not to trust it. I understand that it's cynical and stuff. But uh, during the first wave of like Netflix original series <laughs> and such, I just had too many people be like, Stranger Things is life-changing. No. Uh, and then watch it and it's fine. It's a B. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, and I've just decided not to trust, uh, critical consensus on TV, uh, in a general sense. Like someday I'll watch succession and I'm sure it's good, mm-hmm. but I, I will just be very surprised if it's as good as it's made out to be. Cause nothing could be. Yeah. You know, Hypes of disease. Uh, yeah. Uh, and succession was going to be kind kind of in there. I mean, pretty much just because like the premise doesn't seem especially like great, you know, like it, like mm-hmm. it's, it, it does not, do, does not have a, uh, an obvious hook to draw me in 
and yeah yeah uh like and i I also don't want to invite people saying like oh my god you gotta please don't you should know better than to do that by now <laughs> yeah it doesn't uh you know ted lasso is an example for me too i'll just i'll never watch that because it was too too pushed on me mm-hmm. i've got a contrarian streak that gets along really well with my i'm not going to be able to do everything streak yes you know it's very easy for me to be like you know, I just have a tiny little inkling about this maybe not being good or just even just a negative association that's just a ghost whispering mm-hmm. that maybe it's not good. And that's all it takes because I'll just do something else instead. Yep. There's no uh, no shortage of stuff. Yeah. I can reroute around it. Yep. <sighs> um, Wesley writes, what is your favorite Souls build archetype? Trying anything different in Elden Ring? Uh, my favorite is Gigantic Weapon No Shield. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not doing that this run, uh, in, because I'm still getting used to it and that works best when I kind of know bosses and yeah. like, um, but that is my typical favorite thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's one that I always gravitate to. Everything just always reverts to some kind of spell sword kind of deal. Cause mm-hmm. I like versatility. Mm-hmm. And that works really well in Elden Ring. Yeah. As well. Uh, Mark says, would Twitter be better or worse if it only had a souls like messaging system? Uh, I think it would be way worse because you wouldn't get information. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, earlier I don't like Twitter has problems. I don't think Twitter is the problem with the sadness. Yeah. I think it it is also on the user personally. Um, uh, uh, Mark has another one here. Bonfireside chat will always be my first love, but I need more solid Elden Ring content to tap me over between episodes. Besides Vati, uh, who is always great, do you have any new recommendations for Soulsborne content creators? Uh, Lore Hunter? Uh, yeah, Lore Hunter, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, uh, as I think that I unsubbed because there was uh, preview stuff. Yes. I didn't want to get spoiled, but I imagine uh, Sean's still doing. Mm-hmm stuff and i need to i need to resub now that i'm past the spoiler wall yeah um it's not so much uh lore stuff but i really like iron pineapple um Mm -hmm. iron pineapple has done um a ongoing like many many part series that are like souls likes you'd never heard of yeah and those are great those have been indispensable in terms of just hearing about new games and then also finding stuff to do for the show that isn't yeah souls um but i i need to dive back in i had a lot of people who i followed and i stopped following them when i was trying to avoid spoilers so this is a question you know maybe we'll do as a special episode for elden ring we'll do another roundup at some point yeah like once you know more people come out of the woodwork with it yeah uh and then jonathan writes have you guys seen the trailer for the quarry i saw it i'm not even joking right before i listened to the until dawn waff um i'm glad supermassive is getting to make something a bit bigger and more like until dawn again um, I have not seen the trailer. I just saw that they announced it and I cursed to myself because they announced that literally on the day that the until dawn episode hit mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was at, obviously yeah. after we recorded about it. So like, it seems like we ignored this big, huge, massive, relevant, uh, detail when we were talking about the generalities of the game. So fuck us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, who, uh, whom th- knows. You know, I didn't watch the trailer because I, I tend not to watch trailers. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about it. I like the stuff that they've done. Yeah. That I've, I've played. So I'm, I'm in favor of it. Yep. Yeah, I'm not again. It. In fact, I'm for it. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Will asks, uh, I'm not sure if you've covered this yet, but what are your favorite source books to read or just play and why? Um, yeah. Uh, the Tatters of the King. Yeah. Call of Cthulhu is a great 
source book. Um, I also love reading uh, the Ravenloft uh, box set, like the original Ravenloft thing, and the Torment or Planescape box set. Yeah, are both really excellent source books to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about this before, but uh, like a good find that I had recently was a source book for Delta Green um uh, uh called the labyrinth which is that's really good yeah uh which kind of takes you know delta green which is like a modern day uh you know you're an operative working for almost like a an x-files scp uh kind of uh kind of deal hunting down uh factions that are related to the cthulhu mythology uh kind of mm-hmm. deal this adds new uh good and evil factions that are associated uh with different kind of stuff but it was like updated it was released this was released in 2019 and the way that they handle um um uh the yellow king or the yes, king in yellow aster stuff is incredibly good um and uh the other stuff is neat well like the uh fertility cult uh stuff is uh is good yeah yeah i got i gotta get a physical copy of that because i could i could definitely reread that yeah it's 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 real good uh the 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 labyrinth uh it's a delta green like you can get a pdf of it um for you know relatively reasonable price on drive through rpg but a physical copy of it would be very nice yeah i also gonna throw out uh any of the shadowrun edition uh books called threats no yeah are really good um they're just uh like i love the way the shadowrun formats it's splat books it's one of my favorite things with the message board Mm -hmm. content um and it's about you know threats like hey i heard a rumor about chicago yeah you know like that's where you get that kind of like creeping dread of people not really knowing what's going on during uh the bug city shit yeah so you pointed me in the you pointed me in the direction of those and i've been very happy yeah so source books very good source books buy them read them Mm -hmm. um finally uh let's do our topic Let's uh, do for this one. We might be a little quicker because we spent a lot of time on Q and a, mm-hmm. uh, in this one. And this is, uh, useful to, to get the definition out, but I don't know if it will support a very long discussion, which yeah. is, fine. yeah. You know? Um, but Andrew asks, uh, I'd love to hear, uh, more, uh, about exploring the idea of permissive and prescriptive games, uh, especially in light of some of the things you've been saying about Elden Ring. Yeah. So this was a claim we made, uh, we're talking about Elden Ring and it's probably good to elaborate. Yeah. on that access that games can be on. And we've kind of been nibbling around this for, for, for a long time, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that we just kind of settled on prescriptive versus permissive um, relatively recently. Uh, it feels like even here on WAF. Uh, so I think it's important to like lay down what that is because that feels like another one of those spectrums. Like earlier you talked about like the game to toy spectrum, the game to movie spectrum. Uh, this is like you know, another fundamental way on which games can vary. Yes. Uh, the thing that unlocked it for me was thinking about uh, Elden Ring comparing to Sekiro. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the simple way is a game that is permissive uh, for, for this definition. It can mean a couple of different things, I think. But what I'm thinking of is how many different ways it allows you to approach a problem. Yeah. Um, and generally how often it says yes to the things you come up with to approach a problem. Yeah, it, it, it's it's yes and as opposed to no but and then a swift crack on the wrist with, with a ruler. Yeah, or just no. Yeah. You know, like, uh, hey, uh, you know, and I, I'm not trying to beat up on Sekiro. It's just useful for an example, and it's what popped up mm-hmm. when I did this. But, like, I'm having a hard time with Sword Sanation. What can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in Sekiro, 
you can kind of fuck around a little bit with different weapon art, you know, prosthetic tools and stuff. Kind of. Um, you can, you have a very, very limited amount of, um, avatar strength you can go and cultivate, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, uh, making sure you picked up the collectibles for weapon strength and making sure you got yeah, all the healings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. Yeah. Um, you, you, there are, a, in very, very minor ways, there are a couple of different ways to approach the fight, but really it's just about learning the combos, uh, and being able to consistently read the tells, consistently do the dodges and blocks and McCurry counters yeah. where necessary. It feels like playing, um, a, a really simple version of this, but like playing like Parappa the Rapper or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a prescriptive game. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there's a correct input at any given point. Um, and that endpoint is input is binary or close to binary. You either fail it or you succeed at it. Yeah. Um, keeping it in the realm of Sekiro feels almost like we are equating that with, uh, the expectation of sustained perfection or like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just how much tolerance there is for mistakes, you know? And I think that like the way to pull that back is to say that like punch out is a pretty prescriptive game, right? Beyond a certain point, you can't really just, you know, punch and, you know, try and counter because you're going to get smacked so much that, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to necessarily get over it. Uh, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're going to be looking, you know, like you need to be able to, uh, uh, hit the one guy when he does the spin around the, uh, around the arena because he'll wreck you if you let that happen. Right. It, yes, it's, it's different than, um, how much grace you have for making mistakes, how demanding and prescriptive something is. Yeah. Like punch out is a game with more grace for mistakes for most of it, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of one way. Um, a really great comparison would be something like, um, compare, uh, skate to tony hawk yes uh skate is about execute you know they give you a trick to do Mm -hmm. in a general sense and you have to execute it and it's execution is very difficult and that and like it's giving you a mission and saying do a kickflip so you do the things to do a kickflip tony hawk says get a score yeah um it's up to you how to get that score Mm you know or uh like um in infinifactory yeah it's pretty uh permissive like you are given a goal but you have a lot of different ways to achieve it yeah there's like probably a handful of ways that will achieve the optimal way you know like just like maximize all of your scores fill out your entire graph but like you know you you can pack it like you can lean into patterns that you've used before um you know things like that it is not requiring that you put things down like in a particular place yeah it's a, it's, it, you, it, it, you don't include together something, yeah you know, and it's related to a lot of other vocab stuff that we use. So that's what makes it tricky. Like you, you talked about not wanting to corner Sekiro in this because that's also about sustained perfection and how much grace, you know, for, for mistakes mm-hmm. uh, that you get. And it's really easy to kind of confuse and conflate those two things. Yeah. I think one of the big, um, uh, to, to give another example would be like half-life one is pretty prescriptive. You know, mm-hmm. um, Half-Life 2, by adding physics in, ends up being a, a little bit more permissive, right? Because you yeah, have... Yeah. But it's it's still a scale, though, right? Yes. Like, that is still a game that is linear and... Yeah. yeah. But it, it, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I would say, you know, um, like, <laughs> it almost sounds like comparing any first-person shooter to, uh, to, to, a, to an immersive sim is a little bit unfair. 
uh, because immersive sims are about those multiple ways. But like Bioshock is less permissive than Deus Ex, which is, you know, possibly like, uh, I guess Deus Ex is a bad example because it's, it's, it's a little bit more on the free, you know, free end of the, of the, of the way, but like, uh, uh, Bioshock is less prescriptive or is less permissive than, um, than say, uh, Dishonored, which is less permissive than Deus Ex, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a close partner with this, with, um, expressiveness yes you know like the thing that i always talk about as a as a gamer american value i have and the thing i love about immersive sims is that freedom of approach Mm -hmm. for a situation uh not only is that permissive like hey would this work you know like yeah yeah like yes but also you get to do it your way as opposed to the bespoke developer's way yeah i do think and to head off uh pedance like it is technically true, like this is a spectrum, right? Yes. So like when we say this about the Sword St. Asian fight or to like move it out of that, if we talk about like Mario as being a fairly prescriptive game, mm-hmm. like there are jumps in Mario 1 that you can only make running at top speed and jumping at the very edge. Yes. You know, uh, and someone can be like, oh, you know, there are also lots of situations where I jump here and and the next person jumps two inches over. That's different. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a spectrum. Yeah. You know, so it's it's like, yes, you can argue exceptions to all of these things, but it's kind of where it trends. Uh, you know, Mario, the loss levels is more prescriptive than Mario one. Yeah. Like there are more things that require precise execution. There is one way to do it. And the game is figuring out what the dev wants you to do. Mm-hmm. It's not figuring out how do you want to approach a problem that the dev came up with. Right. You know, it's like, it's like the answer between like, um, it's like an essay question versus a multiple choice question or an essay question versus, uh, you know, just a regular question mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Um, something else that like, uh, I associate with games that are, uh, that, that, that are permissive is breakability, <laughs> which is, yeah. uh, which is, which is a different thing. But I would say that like Morrowind feels a little bit permissive than, uh, than, than Skyrim does. Oh, one and yeah, and it, <laughs> because it's got those semi elements to it. Yeah, you know, again, another thing that uh, ties into this conversation, where it's like spellcrafting system is a, a toy box. Yeah, and it is not afraid to let you make things that fuck you over or break the game. Yeah, it's a and to me, uh, going way back into the first question we answered for this, this is a way that immersion will affect me mm-hmm. in a game. I prefer to have a system where all the rules work all the time and work the same way. Mm-hmm. And I'm free to abuse those rules rather than having a game developer take control away from me and make me do something a certain way. Yeah. You know, in, in a general sense, tons of exceptions on both sides, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's a useful term and then it also isn't because it ties into so many of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just, but it, it's kind of fun to try it on as a lens. Yeah. Uh, to look at something. It's it is it is useful and I've I found it pretty pretty useful in evaluating things um, just as another access to uh, to you know mm-hmm. to to apply to apply to games and it's been a while since we've stumbled upon one of those yeah yeah and it's uh like putting it uh, just so it doesn't seem like I'm just bad mouthing like you know I think examples are a good way that this comes across yes you know and so it doesn't just seem like I'm bad mouthing something I yeah you know, I don't like like 
to goodmouth something that I typically don't like. I think that uh, in a general sense, outside of the stealth systems, Metal Gear games are good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, like in Metal Gear 3 onwards, there's a lot of different ways to approach the bosses Yeah, uh, that encourage out-of-the-box thinking and asking, hey, can I do that within these game systems? And the game saying, yes, you are permitted. Yeah. Those, you know, as opposed to no, uh, <laughs> you are not. Yeah. No, Metal Gear, Metal Gear games are very good about saying yes to the dumbest questions. Yes. Until you get to stealth where the answer is no, go hide in a closet or reset. <laughs> yeah. Because they have the worst stealth of any of the big stealth franchises. Mm-hmm. But in yeah. terms of boss fights, they do a good job. Agreed. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any other, any other, uh, thoughts? Like any other examples or thoughts or anything? I was th- trying to think of ways to apply this to like adventure games, like trying to apply the spectrum to that. But I, I don't know. It's it's weird because that is almost entirely find the find the key for particular locks. And I couldn't I couldn't come up with examples of like physics based puzzle game or adventure games that were not like actually just puzzle games in disguise. You know? Yeah, yeah. It 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 ends up running into taxonomy issues as well. Yeah. You know, adventure, adventure games as a genre tend to be pretty prescriptive on this, this axis. Yeah. Like you can do things in a different order. That's kind of the degree of freedom you have usually. Mm-hmm. Um, there are text adventures that try to buck this. Yes. You know, like fancy text adventures that allow you to do a lot of out of the box thinking because text is cheap to make. Mm-hmm. So they can, uh, you know, your Emily shorts or what have you can make games with tons of possibility space Yeah, within them. Yeah, um, but that's the only yeah, that's that's the only thing that was that that was kind of just bubbling up as we were talking. Yeah, it it's a uh, it doesn't necessarily mean good or bad, right? As well, some of my favorite games are pretty prescriptive. Like there is a correct way to play Rhythm Heaven, right? Yes. And then, like you mentioned, Punch Out. I love Punch Out. Mm-hmm. Love Punch Out. Yeah, uh, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, right? But it's something that I really appreciate a game just being like, yeah, do do the thing. Yeah, you know, I, I break cor- it, fuck with it, flip it. I correlate with it. I <laughs> I correlate it with generosity, which you know yes. is usually we we say usually we use that term in relation to an abundant an abundance of content. But I just I don't know for some reason it's correlated in my mind. Yeah, well, yeah. all of this stuff is like a you know the act of of criticism. One of the things that's like interesting about it when talking about games is that there are all of these different spectrums. Mm-hmm. You know, and it ends up being this like uh, three dimensional super clock that you would plot a game <laughs> on on all these different axes. Yeah, um, it's not uh, it's not a thing where a single exception makes a big difference, and it's not a thing where very very few things are all the way on one end of a spectrum or the other. Right. You know, but somewhere there's like a Myers Briggs of games where you can can look <laughs> at them and place them on these spectrums, and then. Uh, put it in your dating pri- profile and never date again. <laughs> so, <no>. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's all that I have to say about uh, about that distinction. But I think it's you know just in terms of wanting to define things, I think it's that was worth uh, putting out there. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, you know it's something we'll probably use in, in the future as well. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on uh, now to reading your responses. Uh, uh, to March's games, which are Inscription, Ultimate NES Remix, King's Bounty, and Until Dawn. If you have anything to say about April's games, uh, please go to duckfeed.tv slash contact by April 15th. Mm-hmm. Those games are The Shrouded Isle, 
if you have memories of Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza, basically any nightmare animatronic pizza arcade for kids, <laughs> uh, or Deathloop, hit us up at uh, that email address. Yes. That uh, website. If you have thoughts about multiple games, uh, then uh, uh, please separate them. Um, and so for these responses, we are going to be putting inscription at the end. Uh, possibly beyond the end matter of the episode, uh, just because that's a hard game to talk about without spoiling it. It is really new, and we want people to play it. So let's let's uh, let's just announce Maze Game now. Yes, let's. And do. then we can just do this section, and the inscription will be at the end. Yeah, there we are. We're like, uh, and it will throw off people who zip to the end to post or do it next. <laughs> which I like as a sicko. I like to fuck with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Get uh, fucked, problem children. <laughs> I'm Clifford. I'm gonna get you, Groden. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, maze games. Um, we're gonna be starting out with one that I did not know about until the person asked for it. But this is a game called Fear and Hunger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks neat. Uh, and is is well well liked. Yeah. Um, this is a kind of horror dungeon crawler RPG hybrid. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, it looks pretty badass. Yeah. It's got kind of like a uh, sur- survival element to it. Uh, it's a PC yeah. game. Uh, it's a, it looks extremely uh, like a PC game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, as a patron demand from Matt. So thank you, Matt. Yeah. Um, uh, after that's a cool vanity pick. This is a cool vanity pick. People who watched Duck Stream in 2021 will recognize this. Uh, I'm Gaga for this game. It's called Teardown. Uh, this is not mm-hmm. Tear Away. This is not the uh, uh, weird little papercraft game from the Little Big Planet uh, uh, people. This is an indie uh, uh, puzzle game uh, that is very permissive, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. where you are going and destroying things, stealing things. I basically, the, the when I try to describe it to people, it is first person hitman for property crimes. Uh, yeah. I, I I adore this game and I'm looking for a ch- I'm looking for an excuse to go all the way through it. So I like uh stealing stuff in games. Mm-hmm. And I like being places I'm not supposed to be in video games. Yeah. Yeah. This looks really awesome. I'm I'm really excited to play this. Also, I, very fun uh for me to have a three game three games I have not played in a month. Yeah. The first time that's happened in forever. Mm-hmm. I or since April. <laughs> so, that, that, that has to be special, fair but... i have played Chuck E. cheese <laughs> yes and that's only two games yeah uh then what's what's the uh what's the premium episode we're doing uh premium episode where we're closing out a series i was like oh well, we can do that uh, we have uh never, we're doing not... max Payne. Th- oh you're right yeah so, yeah we're doing max Payne three yes uh someday we could do max Payne two because it mm-hmm. is interesting yeah but uh max Payne three mm-hmm. um neither of us have played it it's uh, it's apparently supposed to be pretty good, uh, and you never hear anyone talk about it. Yeah, you know, uh, and I'm a fan of Max Payne one and two, uh, a fan of the characters, and I'm very curious as to what happens here. Same. Um, I've heard it described as a video game version of a Michael Mann movie, mm. uh, and that's really appealing. Yeah, to me, like a man on fire, the game. Yeah, I'm into that. That sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so fear and hunger tear down and max pain three. Yeah. Uh, keep a, keep an eye out for June and stuff. If you want to sponsor a game, there are slots, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash tech TV and check it out. 
Please do. And uh, that Max Payne 3 is going to be a premium premium episode. So that's going to be for $5 backers at the Patreon. Yes, as will Deathloop. As a reminder. Yeah. Yes, as will Deathloop. And that's just for the main episode. The generalities will be a preview for all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's do responses. Indeed. Uh, I'll get us started here with Ultimate NES Remix, which Sam says via contact. I don't have anything specific to say about NES Remix other than that it's awesome. However, since the topic of the 3DS store's closure came up on the episode, I want everyone to know that if you have a 3DS, a micro SD card, and a way to connect that SD card to a PC, that it's all going to be okay. <laughs> Just go to the 3DS uh, hacks board on Reddit and the fact that it'll get you started. There's literally an interactive guide that takes you step-by-step step in installing custom firmware on your 3DS. You're still on your own for finding ROMs. Wink. Have fun. Sorry, minor correction. The 3DS uses regular SD cards, not micro SD. I accept all punishments for this error. Uh, um, the new yeah. 3DS uses micro SD cards. There we go. Yeah. Uh, before somebody tis tisks us for encouraging piracy, they're going to make it so you can't buy the stuff. Yeah. Who gives a rip? Like, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> like if you don't give me a way to legally buy something, I have exactly zero guilt. Yes. About stealing it. Um. Yeah. yeah. And it's there, and you can you you can put your Linux distros on it or whatever. Plausible yeah. deniability. <laughs> and then also we we talked about. Uh, I mean, emulation is obviously good. That's been in the discourse for a while. That mm -hmm. you know, emulation is great. But like there are things like um, like Retro Game Challenge Two, which I needed to use a flash card to play because it's a uh, never came to the states. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. Like I way into this. Yeah. So. Uh, I will be doing this at some point before the 3DS store closes. Probably not just stealing every 3DS game because I don't care to do that, but getting a bunch of 3DS wear stuff that looks interesting. Yes. Before it goes away. Agreed. There's a gray zone here. Oh. Uh, and yeah. thanks for the PSA, Sam. Uh, yeah. Darth Ender X says via contact. So when I was listening to you talk about how it would be cool to play all of Super Mario Brothers 1 as Kirby, I was reminded of a browser game I used to play called Super Mario Brothers Crossover. It was a real, game. Real quick. Oh. So that, that's the, I was trying to remember the name of that. Okay. <laughs> during the episode. I brought this up and I was like, I can't remember the name of it. Thank you, Darth Ender, because I was really struggling. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good yeah. that it made it into an episode. Uh, it was a mm -hmm. game that lets you play through Super Mario Brothers 1 and Lost Levels as other NES platformer characters, such as Mega Man, Simon Belmont, Samus, etc. It was tons of fun totally breaking the game with things like Contra characters with their spread shot. Sadly, I believe the browser version of the game stopped working when Flash stopped being supported, uh, but it was fun while it lasted. Uh, there's that open yeah. source project to download. like It's basically like a storefront for Flash games. That has a huge mm -hmm. library that you can uh, that you can look up. Uh, just do a search for that. I can't remember the name, but it absolutely exists. And we have done like uh, epic suffering stuff with it. Yeah, it's a uh, it it's great. Yeah, like that game is super cool. Uh, and I'm sure somebody. I, I hope somebody has arch archived it, mm -hmm. so uh, I can just download a version that I can just play. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds well, amazing. Um, and also yeah. like saying Mega Man and Simon Belmont like. It one of the shames is that so much of the stuff on the NES that was really good wasn't just made by Nintendo. So it's a bit of a shame that like Mega Man or old Castlevania games never got the uh um never got the uh NES remix uh experience. Although some of like I know the Mega Man collection had like some directed challenge mods. It was it wasn't specifically this kind of thing. So Yeah. I want all that stuff on uh Switch Online as well. Same. I had, a, I had a real hankering for Contra and didn't want to buy the whole collection because I just wanted to play Contra 1. Yeah. You know, and that 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 belongs to the NES. It does. In my my opinion. Agreed. 
uh, Arvid uh, continues with King's Bounty responses via contact. So I played King's Bounty on the Mac, a port you neglected to mention. I played it a lot since I'm since a Mac gamer and a teen, I didn't have a lot of options or as a Mac gamer and a teen, I eventually got really good and won with a sorceress abusing time stop and control. And of course, saves coming. I want to mention one event that was funny. I learned that using ghosts were great since they increased the numbers from their killed foes. However, this backfired once when I was sieging a castle with a villain and my ghost attacked his horde of peasants. At that time I had maybe 150 ghosts and the peasants were in the several thousands. My ghost won uh, the first round and increased in numbers by several thousands way beyond my ability to control them and they joined the villain. I just gave him a huge army of several thousand ghosts. I never did manage to win uh, and defeat that villain despite coming back with a lot stronger army. After your episode, I got nostalgic and managed to get working on a Mac emulator. It was a disappointing experience. Good on you to play it to the end. That is really funny. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it also kind of like it, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, you know, because they're working for like those peasants were working for a general. And yes, they sent them to their deaths. But it's a little bit presumptuous to expect that they would immediately side side with you after you killed them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like, ah, yeah. yes, ghosts, join my army. Like, no, we're going to be ghosts and take over, take you over. <laughs> Stage two. Damn, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny um randy says via contact uh king's bounty is such a weird artifact of a game an uneven rough hewn revelation to my eight-year-old self who did indeed play the game sat cross-legged on the floor with the genesis place before him this is not to say that i understood the game or its systems very well far from it in fact uh but it was certainly the first mixed scale strategy game uh that i had been exposed to and was certainly the first time i had ever come across the word paladin my lack of worldly context led me to believe that a paladin was something like a spell sword until i got into DD proper and learned the horrible truth uh the game was a hand-me-down from an older from an older sister's boyfriend bequeathed to me uh in a shoebox with some other carts dragon warrior shadowgate ultima 3 exodus etc this guy also happened to be uh the one who got me into spellfire tsr's dnd themed uh trading card game and by extension dnd itself later on uh he was uh big into metal went by the gray mouser in the dark forest of the early 90s internet it was just kind of a rad dude this game reminds me of this guy and hearing that music for the first time in decades uh, was the perpetually swinging trebuchet uh, that launched me into a very specific span of my childhood. Narrow in retrospect, eternal in the moment. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Uh, uh, sounds like you owe this this guy a lot. The Gray Mauser. We all owe the Gray Mauser. <laughs> Cracked by the Gray Mauser. <laughs> uh, man, Spellfire. <laughs> If I recall, Spellfire was basically like war. Like they they made a a tabletop game and kind of neglected to give it mechanics. Oh shit! For like a card game. Yeah. Uh, me and my friends were real into that because we love D and D, and like I remember it being really shitty. <laughs> That's disappointing. Same thing with Dragon Dice, which was their collectible dice game they made, which was better, mm-hmm. but also a big problem. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, it's made up. I think you're. I think you're. Yeah, it totally with me. sounds like it's made up. <laughs> um. Yeah, Spellfire's back. Remaster the magic. Ugh. Huh. Um, Don't care hmm, for that. Surprising. Uh, Eric, who sponsored the episode, 
uh, says via contact. There's a pretty big age difference between me and my older brothers, for whom King's Bounty was a rental classic. It's hard for me to think about the game without also thinking about where it was roughly in Power Play Video, our town's video game rental place, where the only movie available was The Wizard and the only snacks was Lemonheads. Uh, every time they'd rent it, I would, I would watch fascinated but baffled by this game that seemed so cool and expansive at the time, while also sending out huge vibes that five-year-old me should not even attempt to play it. <laughs> this is for adults, or at least pimply-faced teens. Along with Shining Force and the Buck Rogers game, the Genesis was a weirdly rich platform for early SRPGs and adjacent titles. Now, three decades later, games that seemed incredibly complex to my young mind now serve as sick day games, when I need something to occupy my time but can't handle anything more complicated than taking a quick run through King's Bounty. Dang old dust in the wind, man. <laughs> uh, something that uh, didn't hit me until this most recent playthrough. It is extremely funny that you, without exceptions, have to pay your units. Just imagining a Pike Man and a Dracula standing in line at Continentia's payroll department waiting for their check. Pikeman's making small talk about how he's not sure what he'll do with this week's pay, but he's thinking about maybe getting a new pike. <laughs> Dracula's rolling his eyes. He's going to be stuck in this conversation for a while, seeing how there are 200 ghosts ahead of him. You you have you have that's sketched great. out a very fun scene. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Maybe that's getting a new sweet. pike. I would hope that that the army would provide that for him. The army doesn't provide shit, man. I suppose in, the, yeah. in this version. Yeah. Huh. Moving on to Until Dawn responses. Brooks writes in via contact saying, "Until Dawn was a game that shocked me." I'm not a slasher fan and was not into choose your own adventure style games. Until Dawn proved me wrong. Excellent branching story and great replayability. My favorite memory from this game was how it brought my non-gamer aunt into the fold with me. She was the type that had Tetris for the Game Boy on her coffee table for about 20 years. I started playing with her watching, and it turned into us both discussing choices and being scared for these awful teens together. Uh, even to the point where if she left the house, she would stare me down and say, you better not play without me. Uh, we collected all the endings and still talk about it now. That's very sweet. Yeah. I, 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 oh. I love anytime games are part of family bonding. Yeah. Good job. Uh, Sam says via contact. Uh, not only have I seen Hamburger, the motion picture. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> I spent actual time finding a good DVD rep of it. Because the bootleg copy on YouTube is to too low res for my taste. <laughs> also, there's a connection between uh, Hamburger, the motion picture, and Hot Dog, the movie. Mike Marvin, who wrote Hot Dog, the movie, also directed Hamburger, the motion picture, a couple of years later. <laughs> While we're on the topic of uh, terrible 80s teen tit freak comedies, I'd like to recommend Joysticks, which is one of those uh, movies, but in an 80s arcade, it would be perfect for adaptation decay. Definitely at least look up the opening theme song. I've only played through Until Dawn once, but had a good time. Thanks, Sam. Let's do joysticks. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I had no uh, idea I this movie. an 80s teenage tit freak comedy about an arcade. Yeah. Um, I, I bet you something ghastly happens in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I the, Do you think the sexual politics of joysticks is good? <laughs> no. <laughs> guess is no. <laughs> uh, Sam, you have uh, piqued my interest about joysticks. <laughs> and 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 i learned something about hamburger the motion picture yeah and thank you for yeah. con thank you for confirming our knowledge that you are exactly the right person right. to go to for this information <laughs> uh my sam challenge for next episode is uh the zombie zombie gourmet chef from hell hmm. 
if you've seen the gourmet uh, gore, G O R E dash May, uh, Zombie Chef from Hell, you let me know. <laughs> I like this game. <laughs> yeah. Stump the Sam, stump the buff. Ah. For $1,000. $1,000 and you can take it. Where does Star Trek 2 take place? <laughs> the best running joke in history. Incredible. Incredible stuff. Oh, man. Uh, Doug says via contact, I have fond memories of Until Dawn, but I wanted to highlight the online multiplayer built into the follow-up Dark Pictures anthology, and apparently uh, it is to be retrofit into the Until Dawn remaster. A very good friend of mine unfortunately had some frustrating medical issues in 2021, which, on top of the pandemic, drastically reduced the amount of time we could spend together and how it was spent. We decided, however, to fight against that by scheduling regular co-op game nights. Uh, Over the end of 2021 and into 2022, uh, we played the entire anthology that way. The game allowed us to make choices together, but then occasionally split up and have different experiences in classic horror movie style. I certainly can't uh, credit his recovery to Supermassive, uh, but I know working through these stories and having a weekly creep fest to look forward to had a palpable effect on improving his mood and turning things around. Personal experience aside, I highly recommend uh, experiencing these games co-op if you can. It really adds a uh, great deal to the slasher film immersion. Nice. Yeah. yeah um, that's It's cool that it, that, that exists. Uh, I've been curious about it, but not fucked around. Yeah. Uh, uh, once I had it explained to me, I was like, yeah, that's, that's rat. That's actually a really good, uh, really good way to, uh, to do that. And I'm curious about how, it will, how it will affect until dawn. Yeah, me too. And I'm happy. Uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, yeah. There's genres I think would work really well for co-op that don't, mm-hmm. you know, or it just hasn't been done yet. Like yeah. slashers are one of them. Um, man, I wish that the, uh, the resident evil co-op games were good. Like yeah. Not five, but the PS2 era ones. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, what is the suffix for those outbreak outbreak? Yeah. I wish the outbreak games were good. Yeah. Um, cause they're very interesting. And the idea of just going off and doing individual, like doing the RE2 remake with two people in the, the PlayStation mm-hmm. would be really fun. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about inscription next, but we're going to do our outro now, because if you haven't played inscription, uh, it, this is going to be highly spoiler based. Yes. Um, that is a, a game about secrets and the like. So uh, keep listening if you don't care. Uh, if you do care, now is a good time to shut off the episode. Um, and you, we've already talked about the Patreon. You can leave us ratings, reviews, tell your friends. We appreciate all that stuff. And we'll be back uh, next week with the Shrouded Isle. Um, anything else before we, we just get into it? No. Just appreciate everybody listening. Really do appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, moving on to inscri- last chance off board. <laughs> moving on to uh, inscription responses. Gordon says via contact. Uh, a lot of games take several hours to get good, leaving you frustrated while you slog through the boring chaff to get to the good po- to the good bit. This always struck me as backwards, since you risk alienating reviewers and new players. What if instead of everything good in a game was entirely front-loaded? Somewhere <laughs> a monkey's paw curled and inscription was born. And honestly, it's not actually that bad of a thing. Yes, it runs out of steam as it goes on, but those first few chapters in Leshy's Cabin were astounding, and I think that's what most people will take away with them when they look back on the game. That's been the case for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely the most memorable part, and since we recorded that episode, uh, Casey's mod has a full release now. Yes. Um, is done getting updates. So if you are interested in just more Leshy's Cabin, 
uh, Gavin, for a gameplay perspective and also kind of a secret hunting perspective mm -hmm. uh, that is available to you. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. It's cool. Nice. Uh, Ryan says via contact inscription was my favorite game last year. Uh, it may have, it may have something to do with it being my first Daniel Mullins game. I was completely won over, uh, when I was given the pliers item in the first section, I mistakenly assumed I just placed the tool on the scale to tip it in my favor. And to my delight, I learned my idiot captive characters. First instinct was to rip out their own tooth. While I like the presentation and theming of each individual act, I found the second to be more frustrating and imbalanced than I would like. That being said, everything else outweighed that issue for me. I only wish uh, we got a, a section with the undead theming at the very end as the game was deleting itself. Yeah, I want more stuff in the undead area. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Uh, even though I do love them setting up the boss fight and then it falling apart. <laughs> and it's a great little clever, clever yeah. moment, for sure. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, Zane says via contact. Uh, I can't read the name Zane without thinking about hypnospace. Same. Yeah. Zane. <laughs> oh, shit. Cool. This guy's rad. <laughs> Zane rocks. Um, Inscription was a great game to play through unspoiled, but it's even better to watch somebody else play through it. Getting to see the incredulity that you yourself felt. I loved watching my brother get hit with a surprise with surprise after surprise. He would say, no, there's no way. This is insane. This is an insane thing that they have done here. <laughs> My favorite moment was during the fight with the archivist. Uh, when the boss showed him the contents of his disk drive, he didn't realize that it was his own computer. For minutes, he opened files uh, that he thought belonged to Luke Carter, amazed that the devs would think through what files and programs this fictitious person would have. <laughs> no way they gave him a battle.net account. Uh, <laughs> When he finally opened the users folder and realized that it was a totally different mind screw than what he originally thought, uh, were there any surprises, uh, that you misunderstood or got hit by in a way like that in any other game? Um, uh, in, in a way other than the game intended, I guess. Oh, yeah. Other than the game intended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hard to, hard to think of one on the spot Yeah. Uh, there that isn't just, um, either this or things similar to it. Like, you know, Hey, it's, I'm scared. Mess with the eye and I. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, I don't want to spoil anything that happens in Pony Island. Uh, and I know that Pony Island isn't this game, but same developer. And it was my first exposure to something like this. But there's a moment in Pony Island where there's an interface trick uh, that, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, plays around with the way that you're playing it. Uh, that uh, mm -hmm. it really it it uh, it it, uh, it alarmed me, let's say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff is, uh, and then like, this is an OG, like classic one, but thinking about, um, Sandy's Requiem. Oh yeah. Eternal Darkness does, does that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Fix you out. Um, moving on, uh, Jerry Khan or Gary Khan. I, I can never know how to pronounce that, uh, says via contact. The thing with the type of interactive meta narrative game that Daniel Mullins like to make is so far, the gameplay has not been the point. His previous titles have, uh, have had unremarkable base mechanics, and the fun of those games comes from how well he mutates, plays with, plays with, and disposes of these mechanics uh, and other elements in funny and surprising ways. Uh, but I don't think he makes games that would be all that fun to play without the twists and silly narrative. Until Inscription. 
Act 1 of Inscription is too good to dispose of, a game that is genuinely good in its own right, um, and it turned his usually uh, additive trick into one that was massively subtractive for me. I really enjoyed Act 1. The mechanics, atmosphere, writing, and graphics were all totally on point for me. Uh, and in every other act, the game got further away uh, from what I was enjoying. Instead of his trick breeding surprise and delight, it only made me resentful. Uh, and the story was in uh, this was in service to absolutely could not compensate for this. Um, I finished the game hating uh, that so much had been squandered for this mediocre narrative. Uh, eventually I got the game I wanted in the form of Casey's mod and I'm grateful for it, but I can't help but think about how good Casey's mod could have been if the developers had poured all of their resources into just making that game from the start. Uh, Daniel Mullins, uh, has proved to me, uh, that he can make a legitimately great game here. I hope next time he'll take a break from the meta and just do that. Uh, I would love to see it. Yeah, I, I think I largely agree. I think mm -hmm. I'm, I, you know, I talked with Jerry Khan in the Slack um, about inscription. I think I'm a little bit more positive yeah. on it. But I also, uh, it, it'll be weird if the next Daniel Mullins game comes out and it's just Trixie again the same way. Yeah. You know, novelty is only novelty as long as it's new. <laughs> right. And eventually it becomes, becomes really rote. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, I think that it, it's, it's, it's the same way that it's a challenge to write a good pop song, you know? Right. Right. Like Daniel Mullins, like you write a good pop song. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. He's, he's in a really weird position because as far as I can tell, inscription is his most popular game. I mean, it's, it got way more heat on it than either, um, uh, Pony Island or the Hex. Right. Like yeah. it made game of the year list. So many people have been exposed to it and they're going to have developed the antibodies for his trick when he, when, when he comes on next. So like, it's weird because he's been, he's been making games for a long time, but this will be like a, like a late, he's going to have to try to avoid like a late career, um, sophomore slump, which is weird. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and you know, the positive way to think about this is that inscription showed that he's capable Yes. Of, of just doing a workman like, you know, like mm -hmm. this is just a good game. Yeah. We're going to chill out on all this stuff. Um, I just don't know if that's where his passion lies. Yes. Like some people just have an unlimited appetite for the, the, the for the, the meta twisty yeah. stuff. Um, and you know, that's, it's fine if that audience is just being served, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to me i've got there's something uh, i don't know which way i'll go but for me this was this was the first game where i was like man i i you know i didn't end up liking casey's mod more than inscription basically yeah no yeah. um which is a weird thing to say because casey's mod is still kind of inscription <laughs> like, yeah it's contained like inscription contains casey's mod yeah. like the the stuff that is added was subtractive to me a portion of the time in inscription yeah, yeah. like uh, it was it was neat when I saw the new stuff, but then when I realized what I would have to go through, it, it lost a little bit of the shine. Yeah. Yeah. Still a good game, but yeah. Um, our final response is from uh, Graham or Graham via contact. Uh, I was so excited to see you recovering inscription. I had a lot of fun with this game. As a total Slay the Spire addict and Monster Train liker, I really enjoyed playing a roguelike deck builder with such great aesthetics and a fun, if not original, creepypasta plot. 
I've spent a little time with Casey's mod, and one thing that frustrates me about the flow of a typical run is how hard it is to keep chaff out of your deck. Unlike the deck builders mentioned above, where you can always choose not to draft new cards, Inscription makes it uh, much harder to keep a lean deck. So I'll have a relatively easy first two acts by combining uh, to create a win condition card and then lose in the third or fourth act when I can't reliably draw it. Maybe I need to rethink how I approach the game, but I wish there were more ways to remove cards from your deck throughout a run. Gary, as the resident deck builder addict, what are your thoughts on this? Do you find it well-balanced? Uh, as for the main campaign, I think you guys hit the nail on the head in that it manufactures these moments where you get to feel like a genius by discovering a great card synergy, which is the main draw, womp womp, of the whole genre. Playing a stink bug against Leshy's moon card to make it completely harmless, or playing a deck of mages against Magnificus so that his paintbrush move removes their mox cost feels amazing. And if you don't know anything about the ARG, like I didn't before listening, then you never need to hear about Hitler's skeleton, and the whole thing holds together much better. <laughs> Thanks for covering my favorite game of last year, even if you didn't like it as much, uh, didn't like it as much. Slay the Spire episode win. Yeah. Um, in Casey's, so the first question, just real quick, in Casey's mod, uh, you can't get rid of things in your deck. The way that I've found when I try to be optimal is to try to play the game in a way that I'm not adding. Yeah. as much as possible and there are some like you don't have as much control over it as you do in monster train or whatever but you can uh do things like um set up a deck when you get to the node that quizzes you like you know pick a card with at least five power three mm -hmm. cards with at least five power yeah you can choose the option that's not going to give you a new card yeah and those and then prioritize your run towards uh combining cards like sacrifice altars mm -hmm. so in in my experience, there's enough options for it. There are fewer than in other games, but your deck is also so much smaller Yeah. in Inscription. Like, you can't just refuse a card, but you also get to the end with, like, an eight-card deck pretty regularly, I found. Yeah. So uh, it worked out well for me uh, for what it was while also not being quite as deep or satisfying as Monster Train or Slay the Spire in yeah. that respect. As far as Slay the Spire, uh, somebody sponsors it. I'm not again it. Uh, but I need a little bit of a break from run-based run games. Yeah. We got another run-based game coming in the summer, uh, but that and strategy are things we've been hitting real hard. Yeah. Lately. Um, and I like Slay the Spire. I don't like it as much as Monster Train, which is the the only thing that makes me hesitant mm -hmm. to do it. Like, I like it, and I went back to it after playing Monster Train, and I like it more, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think it's as fun. Yeah. Um. So... It will be a thing where I we'd have to be real careful in doing the episode, not just to continually <laughs> damn something with comparisons. Yeah, that that would you be know? that would be difficult. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, and that's it yeah. for the episode. Thanks everybody who wrote in. Yeah, we really appreciate you. Um, we will be doing again. Uh, just to, to recap, we'll be doing roundups. So if we didn't read your question or anything like that, uh, mm -hmm. we will get to it during those roundups. And uh, those are moving to the $5 tier. So uh, if you want to hear extra episodes of this once a quarter, uh, this specific show, that is where to do it. Yeah. So I think that's about it. Uh, we've already done yeah. the like what you can do stuff. So if you stuck around, you're you're a real buff. So yeah, uh, put, the, put that feather in your cap. Yeah. Uh, enjoy. Have a Gary buck. <laughs> um, and uh, until next time, take care. Take care. <laughs>